Hey, welcome to the 230th episode of the Random Podcast from Heck. My name is Tony, and this is the podcast about random things in the world of entertainment, which includes movies, TV shows, and comic books. Big shout out to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash gman from heck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. And if you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to that secret podcast from heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. I often talk about old classic comic book story arcs. But uh, sometimes I talk about movies. And like just recently I talked about 2002's Resident Evil how has it how has it been 20 years since Resident Evil came out that that is nuts so uh, we may continue to Resident Evil movie discussion for next next few weeks uh, but if you can't commit to a monthly commitment you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash man from heck and you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or three that is ko-fi.com slash gman from heck all right, what are we talking about this week? There was no there was no big theatrical movie release. And as you may have noticed, if you listen, I think I mentioned last week, I didn't talk about Peacemaker last week, even though the uh, HBO Max dropped three episodes. So this week, we're going to talk about four, one, two, three, four episodes of Peacemaker. I'm really, I'm really enjoying that show. It's uh, I wasn't crazy about the, the character but in, in The Suicide Squad, but... This this show's really making me like look at John Cena differently. Looking at this character, I mean, he, it's something. We're also uh, gonna get Servant M Night Shyamalan's Servant is back. Season three has has started up, and we got a uh, book of Boba Fett. We got Superman and Lois. I'm not gonna talk about. <laughs> actually, I I didn't watch Naomi. I forgot to set my DVR. I didn't set a series recording when the first episode came out. I just did like single. And I didn't. I, I know I can watch it on CW app, but you're forced to watch those commercials, and it's just I didn't do it. And plus, I was just like, maybe I'm not gonna do it. I didn't watch uh, DC's Legends of Tomorrow either, so now I feel like this is gonna be like where I start like getting majorly backed up. It that is on my DVR. I just didn't watch it yet, so I, I don't know. So I'm not talking about it, obviously. What I am gonna briefly talk about this week is how I met your father. So the first two episodes dropped last week um and then it's on, it's on hulu so single episodes will be dropping so that's a the new hillary duff show spin off ish from how i met your mother so we'll talk just a little bit about that um and comic books and and the news so let's get started first thing you may have uh <laughs> you may have seen this little trailer that came out from uh, marvel's studios disney plus for a tv show called moon knight and yeah, I was um, I was like excited and scared, and I didn't really know what to expect. So they they teased the trailer coming. They they dropped it during a football game on Monday night, and I was just like, oh man, because it's it's just like it's the weirdest thing. I feel like we never really got like a full on like official announcement or you know about this they they announced it at san diego comic-con it was like two years ago last time we had a comic like a major real comic-con i don't remember them ever actually con- i mean i must have totally missed it i don't remember them actually confirming that oscar isaac was going to be moon knight 
And, you know, because there was like the rumor started up and we're like, wait, is that true? And then uh, finally, eventually, you know, I think Oscar Isaac, you know, released an image. I don't know if it was from his account or something like that. But it was just weird that there wasn't anything, even like that the 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 Disney investor thing or something like that. They like didn't really talk about anything, and, and then the last one we saw like tiny clips. But we have it, so the, the trailer is out. It it looks good. Um, I obviously am going to be like majorly skeptical. I'm super excited. Like the poster release was cool. You know, we do see like the different identities. You know, we have mention of of Stephen Grant, Mark Spector. We see a glimpse of Kanchu. It does appear as they're they're changing things a little bit, you know the, the whole thing of like Mark not knowing if he's awake or sleeping and and you know not remembering his past life. You know there's, there's a part where he answers the phone and you know someone recognizes him and he's like, "Why'd you call me Mark?" You know, so it's like he doesn't know or remember that he was Mark Spector. He thinks he's Stephen, and Stephen's not a billionaire or millionaire. He's he works at a gift shop at a museum. <laughs> it's, it's almost the same thing, right? So I mean. I obviously I I I totally know that they're gonna change things. The costume, the costume is a little more mummy-ish, which I guess kind of makes sense in, in a way. And I don't know about the whole costume, like the Venom style. Maybe that's just not real. We'll see. So I I'm super excited. Uh, you know, Oscar Isaac is is a is a great actor. March 30th, we're going to get that. So uh, I can't wait. And obviously, I'm going to be talking about Oh, man, I just realized. So, you know, they're going to be dropping on Wednesday nights. Man, I'm going to be so tempted to stay up. But I, I can't stay up watch it at midnight when I have to teach the next day. Uh, well, <laughs> I don't know. We'll have to see what, what happens. Oh, the sad news, though. An actor, uh, what's his name? Gaspard... Uliel, I apologize, that's not probably how you say it. 37-year-old actor, he died uh, this past week in a skiing accident. So he's 37 years old, uh, had a six-year-old son. So it's just, you know, was he wearing a helmet? I mean, you hear about these skiing accidents all the time. I mean, I, I'm not a skier. I, mean, I have skied a little bit. I, I'm not a skate, a, a snowboarder. I've never tried that, but you know, I've I've done just a little bit of skiing. I've never gone down like a major, like actual huge, you know, slope. I've just done a little bit, and it, yeah. So, but you hear about these these accidents all the time, and it's just, it's just, it's just really, really sad. Uh, should we talk about Joss Whedon? I kind of don't want to. So there was a, a big interview with Joss Whedon. I did not read the whole interview because I just, I just don't want to. You know, there's a whole thing is, you know, fans, you know, we, we owe, not we don't owe, but, you know, Joss Whedon did a lot of stuff. You know, if you look at like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Angel, Firefly, you know, he did a, a lot of cool things. But the question is like, is he not a, not a good guy? And, you know, there's all these allegations from his ex-wife, you know, said all this stuff. And, you know, with, with that, if, if it's an ex saying something, you know, it, it could be true, but maybe it, it's a little little skewed, a little biased. I mean, I, I don't want to, you know, make any accusations one way or other. And I'm not trying to defend him at all. So, you know, you hear all this stuff. We'll, we never know the full story because we're not there. You know, we're just hearing, like, you know, people say different things. So he did say some stuff about this and not having read the whole thing, you know, I, I'm seeing a lot of people are saying that he basically like was like shooting himself in the foot or whatever, you know, making things worse. 
I don't know. I you know, I saw a little bit of you know that stuff that was highlighted from the interview. Like one of the things he he mentioned, you know, the, the whole criticism get that he's racist, and you know, I don't know if he is. Maybe he is. Maybe he's not. But you know, he was saying that when they they tested the Justice League, you know, his cut, whatever, that the cyborg character just didn't test well with with the audiences. And and he kind of said that what it comes down to is like you know Ray Fish is not not a not a great actor you know not not that he can't act he's just and you know when I when I look at that you know Cyborg his it's it's so hard when you you look at the movies and and you know I haven't watched it since Zack Snyder's Justice League came out but when I when I look at Cyborg I mean yeah he's he's kind of playing I don't I don't know like the sad whatever i mean he it, it sucks what happened to him you know just getting in an accident losing you know his his dreams his you know playing football being you know all all the stuff and having all these robotics put on you i mean yeah that sucks so given that i you know i i wouldn't say that ray fisher was able to really give a good performance cuz he he was kind of robotic in a way you know he was emotionless and you know maybe that's the thing you know he maybe maybe he did play the role well where he acted like you know this emotionless you know survivor i don't know but i didn't really really get that so much so i mean i didn't care and and you know the other things like like just like some of the siege the way he looked just didn't look right to me so, like, I I can't say that I I love the, the character in in the movie. You know, I'm I'm used to seeing Cyborg, obviously with Teen Titans. You know that that's a whole different thing, and you know, totally different attitude and everything from from Cyborg. So you can't really compare that. So you know, we, we had a lot of that. And when I when I think of Justice League, it's not like I think about Cyborg as, as like a, a memorable part. So I don't know if that's the case. He also kind of. I apparently insinuated that maybe you know who was like making a lot of these accusations you know was it people close to Zack Snyder or or you know was the Snyder army you know making you know all these these comments and, and stuff like that you know there, there's who I mean you look at some of these fans and they're hardcore fans it's it's great when people are passionate about something but my goodness man it's just and and you know Zack Snyder clearly is encouraging it you know, like he, he, I saw like him make a comment or something like that when, you know, how, how people were just like, they, they kept, it, I, I found it annoying when, you know, you look at Warner Brothers, Instagram, whatever, they're posting about like, Scooby-Doo and then they're like, release another cause, release another, you know, it's like, it was just like this constant bombardment. And it's like, what are you doing? Okay, you're, you're, you're spamming, you know, a social media post. The people in charge are not going to be looking at that. You know, having worked in a, like a media thing is, you know, you have the whole social media team. They work their butts off, you know, doing that part. You know, they look at analytics and stuff like that. Would Do they report to the higher ups that, hey, yeah, we, we got another, you know, 25 releases, Snyder Cut comments, maybe. But, you know, that's probably not their priority. You know, they're looking at metrics and, and you know, engagement and and you know views and and stuff like that. If anything, you know all these comments were helping out. You know, you know if if you however algorithms work and stuff like that. But it's I it always seems weird when people when people try replying to the social media posts. It's like those those people they're they're not the one and you know they're 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 great people you know they're hardworking but they're not the ones that are gonna 
like, oh, maybe we should do, you know, a Martian Manhunter movie because people are, are saying this. You know, that's not how it works. So, I mean, it's a whole whole different thing. I just found it annoying when, when you know, they're just kind of doing it. And, and it's almost at a point where it, where it's, it's like being passionate or being obsessive. You know, there, there's a lot of lines being crossed. And I'm not saying all the fans are like that. I feel like I'm talking about this way too much. So, <laughs> but yeah, there, there's like other stuff. And then, you know, he, he did say some stuff about the threatening Gail Gadot's career because he's like, who does that? Which that does seem like <laughs> that is almost like like the twirling the mustache villain. Like, are you really going to say you're never going to work in the city again? It's like it's almost like something from like a, a 1950 or 1930s movie or whatever. He was trying to say it is because English wasn't her first language, and he made some comment about a scene being cut or that she wanted a scene cut or something like that. And he's like, "Over my dead body, you'd have to tie me to a railroad." you know, in order to get me to cut that or something like that. And then supposedly he joked that, or maybe you'll, you'll be on the railroad or something like that. And supposedly she mistook that as a threat, but he's like, that wasn't, but she did comment. She's like, I understood perfectly what he meant. So whatever he said, however he said it, if that's, that's the comment was, he probably didn't say it correctly. And even if he was joking, it's like, you can't joke. I mean, you can joke, but you, you got to read the audience and you know, you, you got to make things, clear i mean it's like maybe you shouldn't joke you know you're if you're in a leadership director whatever you want to call it you know you got to lay things out straight you're not there to be chummy and, and you know friends with everything with everyone i i just don't know i'm i mean i'm so just so tired of all this stuff you know if he is he a bad guy i don't because you also hear you know some people don't have bad bad things to say about him and you know, like what the the nevers was that what the show's called the hbo max show uh, that doesn't sound right. But uh, what's her name? I, I'm, I feel like I just talked about her. The lead in that, uh, she made a comment that, you know, he, he, he was great to work with, that there was no issues, whatever. And and maybe sometimes he has bad days and then he becomes a total, you know, scumbag or evil, whatever. But then maybe other times he keeps things in checks and, and he's totally professional. I don't, I don't know. It's it's just it's unfortunate. I I would hate to think of anyone being a total scumbag, like jerk, whatever. But I'm sure there are people that are like that. It, it's just, I don't know. I I wanna I wanna think, or I wanna give people the benefit of the doubt. But you know, it, facts are facts. If there are facts, but like I said, we're never gonna really know the full story. So it's just it just sucks that it it's come to this. It sucks that it's it's this is still going, and. I don't know. So I wasn't there. There you go. That's what he said. I and I, I I have no interest in reading the full interview. You know whether he does fully defend himself, explain things. I don't know. I, I just I don't care anymore. You know I I just it's not. I've, I've I've spent too much time talking about this here. I like and I don't want to. I wouldn't want to spend the time to actually read this entire thing. So there you go. Let's see what else do we have. Paramount. Let's talk about Paramount. Um, oh, Mission Impossible movies are being delayed. It's like my goodness, that sucks because this is like the second time at least, if not more. So like, I was like, maybe they should just cancel them, just forget it. Just say yeah, cut cut our losses. They're not going to happen. I mean, does anyone watch the Mission Impossible movies? Does anyone watch Tom Cruise movies? I think people are like over it, or maybe maybe not. So they're gonna. I, I don't have the dates. I, I I didn't jot them down, but they're being. It it sucks. 
it's like when when like when is Top Gun coming out? Like what's up with Tom Cruise's movies getting delayed and everything? I, I get that some movies are getting delayed or pushed back because studios are concerned about box about the theater audiences. That if, if people can't go to the theaters, they're gonna, not going to be able to, you know, they're not going to make money off it. But you look at Spider-Man, um, what's the movie called? Not No Way Home. No Way Home? No. Uh, what is the movie called? How can I not? Is it No Way? No. Is it No Way Home? No, it's not No Way Home. Spider-Man, <laughs> whatever the last Spider-Man movie was. The movie that's like huge. And I, here's the thing. I could look it up, but I, I don't want to. So I'm just going to embarrass myself by not remembering it. I, I did see something and I didn't click the article um, that I think it's it's it has surpassed like Black Panther, maybe like domestic box office. It's doing really well. People people are going to see it. So you when you have things like that, yeah, movies could work. So when Sony's like, yeah, we're going to push Morbius to April because people might not be going to theaters. Like, no, they're going to the theaters if it's something that that's really cool and exciting. Morbius. I'm not. I'm not super excited about Morbius. I'm, yes, I'm going to see it, but it's Morbius. <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, yeah. So uh, Mission Impossible movies are, and but there might be other like delays because of COVID protocols. You know, there was a whole thing where Tom Cruise justifiably went on a rant about people endangering things because you know he he was pissed off when. There, I think there's some like not wearing a mask or whatever. And, you know, he's talking about that. It's like, that's the thing. He's like, you have to wear a mask. This is absolutely ridiculous. It's like, you have to do it. It sucks. I hate wearing a mask all day. I've, you know, started wearing the, the KN95s. It's, it's such a tight seal, which is awesome. But it, it is kind of hard to breathe. I, sometimes I feel like I'm out of breath. I was like, did I just freaking run around the campus? And, and now I'm in the classroom and I'm trying to teach and I can barely talk. But you got to do it. It's for your safety and for everyone else's safety. You know, when I'm in a little petri dish with, you know, twenty something kids that are for an hour and then getting another twenty something kids, I'm not happy with that. You know, I'm not thrilled. And when someone asks a question, I'm gonna go go up to them and I'm gonna help them. I'm gonna you know write you know under paper you know to, to try to help them out. Even though I'm just like you know I'm not like spraying them down with Windex or anything before I you know get close to them, but. You gotta, you gotta protect. You know, get vaccinated. I, I don't want to get on, on a rant about this, anyways. But, but yeah. So he was, he was justifiably upset. There, there could be other delays, and and you know, and not just so much about people not being, you know, protective or or, or proactive or whatever. But it could also just be things are slowed down. You know, maybe you can only have like you know shoot cer- certain number of scenes or have certain number of people, and that's slowing things down. So it sucks, <laughs> but that that's how it goes. But Paramount is like shuffling other things. So uh, Transformers: Rise of the Beast is moving from this summer, summer twenty twenty two to June twenty twenty three. Um, the animated Ninja Turtles, the Seth Rogen thing, for some reason that is actually moving up a week. That's moving to August eleventh, twenty twenty three, and then the Quiet Place spinoff, which I don't know why they're doing a Quiet Place spinoff. I kind of, I mean, I'm sure it'll be good. I, yes, I'm going to watch it. I just, I don't feel like we need it, but we'll, we'll, I mean, maybe they have a really awesome idea. That is moving from March 31st, 2023 to September 22nd, 2023. 
And I know that they recently lost a director. Director left. I'm not sure why. I, 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 I don't remember. But I think the, the director of Pig is taking over. So we'll have to see. Um, also, Paramount, there was a trailer for Picard Season 2. So that starts up March 3rd. So Q is involved. We're seeing some familiar face, and he's talking about like taking the road, not taken. So he, I think he's, I think it was my impression from you know I, I wasn't a hundred percent watching it, you know, because I was tr- trying to do some other things too. But I get the impression that Q kind of like tweaks some things for, for Picard's sake or whatever, and reality is broken. So you know he, they got to. Ch- check something you know things are different things are definitely they they know that things are are off he goes to Whoopi Goldberg um you know talks to her her character and he also has to work with talk to the the board queen about stuff and they have to go to earth 2024 so there's going to be some some cool things there and it's, it's weird to think you know 2024 you know that that's that's like a big big date in Star Trek history but, it, you know, I, it's like when they first mentioned that, it's like, oh, that's that's like in the near future. But that's that's just a couple years away. So that's just just nuts. So maybe the Enterprise is going to launch soon. Uh, Ahsoka Star Wars. Um, Mary Elizabeth Winstead has been announced as being on a cast. I think I thought I saw something that, that some more plot details were given. I didn't want to read them because I, I don't want too much spoilers, but I did see that Mary Elizabeth Winstead has been cast. I think it's a mystery role. They haven't said, and I don't know. I don't want to speculate. Cause I mean, I have no idea who it could be like, is it just some new character or, you know, could it be anyone I have? I can't even imagine who. So we'll have to see. There's going to be a Godzilla spinoff or tv show on apple tv plus so so apple and legendary are doing that and um i'm not really sure you know reading the thing i don't know how you know you have to wonder it's like okay this is me a tv show and apple tv does you know like you look at like for all mankind which i still need to finish the the last season you know they 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 do some good productions and you know they're, they're putting money into it but to do like a godzilla or yeah like a godzilla show Obviously, they, they can't be like destroying cities like they do in the movies because that's, you know, to, to rebuild the cities is so costly. Like all those buildings and everything like that, evacuating everyone and then putting everything back together. So obviously, they're not going to be doing that for just a TV show. I, I don't know like how it's going to work because I think it's something about like now, you know, after San Francisco with Godzilla and after all this stuff, it's like people are aware, it's like, yeah these titans these monsters exist and i guess there's like a family that's like i don't know if they're going monster hunting which i don't know about that but the the plus side is matt fraction is is involved with this and i i think matt fraction is brilliant i think he's hilarious he's a i think he's a he's a genius Uh, yes i would say he's a genius i love his writing and um so I that that kind of reassures me a bit, and you know, with, with legendary, I feel like I feel like they know what they're doing, and while you know, I may not have completely, absolutely, one hundred percent loved everything of the you know the Godzilla and King Kong movies or whatever, I feel like they're they they are concerned, they are invested, they are protective, you know, you know they they were they were not happy with the the home you know HBO Max release of. Kong versus Godzilla, and I get I get that you know they're they're protective of their what they're doing and their work. So I, I feel like 
they are going to want to continue to protect that and you know they're going to want to make out make sure they can put out the best product that they can i hope so 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 we'll, we'll have to see uh amazon released a teaser trailer for lord of the rings and at first i was like it's like title reveal trailer for and then but it's like everything i think people were putting the the title in the title release thing so it's like wait you're there this trailer is supposed to be announcing the title but you're telling me that this trailer is you're telling me what the title is in this thing something like that so it's lord of the rings um the rings of power and uh, the trailer was just like a bunch of CG, like fire, whatever. And it, it didn't even look that that great. Uh, unpopular opinion. I'm not super excited for this. I could if if, if all of a sudden they're like, yeah, this isn't going to happen. Sorry. I'd be like, all right. I'm just I'm sure it'll be cool and everything. Uh, I, I really enjoyed the Lord of the Rings movies. I have no desire to watch them again. You know, a lot of people are like, let's watch all the extended versions in one sitting. And I'm just like, please, no. I, I don't even want to watch one in one sitting or two sittings or whatever. So I'm sure it'll be good. I'll probably watch it to talk about it. I'm not looking forward to it. I'm already not looking forward to it. Like, man, I got to watch this. So I guess it depends on when it comes out and, and all that stuff. But... We'll see. Then there's uh, The Batman. So the running time was announced. And a lot of people are like freaking out about this. So it's going to be two hours and 55 minutes. But that includes eight minutes of, of credits. So it, it's weird that they've actually said, it's like, oh, it's a really long movie. But it's it's not really that long because eight minutes are the credits. I I hope for all the people working on, on the movie, I, I hope that there is an end credit scene because once that gets word gets out, and I know so many people still have no idea that there's you know whatever, but I feel like once uh, people find out that there's there's no end credit, then they're going to be out of there. Especially when it's like three hours, people are going to be running to the bathroom. So I don't know. And but people are complaining. It's like, oh, this is so long. It's like you know why can't they do a more concise movie or whatever? I, I get that and everything. You know you don't want something to be unnecessarily long. But at the same time, when I look at like like Endgame and you know Infinity War, I I love that those were so long because like I wanted every minute, every second of that that I could get because you know once it's over, it's over. Then you got to wait you know a year or two years, whatever, to see any of these characters again. With this, you know, I I want as much Batman as I can get, but if it's not necessary, then yeah, I don't want something to be long and, and you know drawn out if it's not necessary. So we'll have to see. It's just weird. A lot of people are complaining. It's like, why don't you just wait and and like see, you know, instead of complaining about it before, you know, there maybe there's a reason. And, you know, it's a risky thing because when you make a three-hour movie, that probably means theaters may not be able to have like four showings of it because, you know, having time in between to clean and, you know, trying to schedule. And, you know, so I'm sure theaters aren't happy about that. But... I don't know. I mean, I, I'm I'm like, all right, give me three hour Batman. That's that's fine. Just do it, do it good. Make sure it doesn't suck. That that's not what I care about. Because like when a movie's like, if you find out like when a movie's an, like closer an hour and a half, so yeah, it's it's more concise and stuff like that. But if if I see movies like, oh man, this is just like an hour and forty minutes. It's like so sh- they could have done more. They could have given me more. So whatever. 
And then, in, in uh, speaking of DC, in comic book news, apparently we're going to get the death of the Justice League in April. DC is going to kill off major characters. All of them are supposed to die. I think there's like one survivor. But I think they're talking about, you know, Batman, Wonder Woman, Green Lantern. You know, they're all dying. And it's so issue 75 is the last issue, which coincides. I, I forget. Is this the 30th anniversary? I forget what, what anniversary of the death of Superman. And they sort of like, let's just kill everyone. And we're going to explore the aftermath of DC Universe, you know, them, the world going on with the death of the. It's just like, why? And, you know, it's Joshua Williamson. So, you know, I don't want to knock it. I don't want to complain. And, you know, I, I, I can't remember last, last time I interviewed him with, I think, 2017, 16, 18, 18. It was, it was after, it was at least 2017, maybe 2018. So, and, and you know, he's a, he's a great guy and he's a great writer. But, and I don't know if, I don't know if he's like, hey, DC, let's, why don't we do this story? And they're like, yeah, that sounds great. Or I don't know if DC's like, all right, everyone, we want to do this story. Who wants to, wants to do it? And he's like, I'll do it. I, I don't know how it went down. I hate comic book deaths. I, I hate them. I And it's not even, you know, one of the things that I, I saw about this is like, oh, you know, we'll get to explore the aftermath of people dealing with this. I could care less about how people... We've seen comic book deaths so many times. We've seen people dealing with it. And then, oh, surprise! So-and-so's back. It's just... I just hate it. You know, I'm, I'm still so annoyed that they killed off Alfred. Just bring him back. And, and that's the thing. like, you know, most of the time when comic book characters die, they come back. And that makes it, that almost makes it worse. It's like, why are you going through this when it's not going to stick? But also it's, it's like, you know, if it's someone like Alfred, they're less likely to come back. It's like, you have to have, you have to have worn like a flashy costume or whatever in order to come back. I just, uh, anyways, that, that's going to be news for the week. Long, long news for some reason. All right, with comic books at Image, we had, uh, there's this book that came out, Aerosmith. Uh, Aerosmith number one, and this is by Kurt Busiek and Carlos Pacheco. So I'm like, oh, cool. But I started reading this, and and what had happened, I, I don't know how this happened. This is not a new thing. This is like Aerosmith is is apparently something that's. I'm looking at the synopsis now. Um, the the new Kurt Busiek era at Image begins here. Uh, let's see, it much anticipated return of Aerosmith. I don't know how I, I I couldn't even tell you who published Arrow where it, it happened before. Um, it's World War One, but a war of wizards and dragons as much as bullets and barbed wire. Young airman Fletcher Aerosmith plunges back into the heat of war and finds himself behind enemy lines, facing a threat that could doom the Allied powers. First issue, new Aerosmith Universe miniseries, and don't miss the remastered hardcover of the original series in February. So that sounds great and everything like that. I started reading it and be perfectly totally completely honest what threw me off was the <laughs> I just spit a little uh, was the font you know there's there's like the, you know the, the the caption boxes and it was like a little fancy and i'm just like i'm looking at this on my screen i'm like i i don't want to read this I, it, this is like not pleasant on my eyes and i was just like I started skimming through it, and then I was just like, I don't know. Then I was like, wait, am I? And I was then I would go to the letters pages, and and you know they they mentioned that 
you know, re- newer returning readers and and yes, I, I should have given it more more of a chance, but I was just like, I don't know who this this what this is. So um, if you have read Future Smith, you're probably excited because I, I, I Kurt Busiek's a good writer and was, and was, the art was was good. Okay, then there was a new series called Bolero. So this is a five issue series. So this is by Wyatt Kennedy and Luana Vecchio. So the synopsis, a new series from two bright-eyed and bushy-tailed little scamps. A woman running away from a broken heart discovers, see, I feel like this is spoilers, discovers a mother key into parallel universes. The rules are the key can work on any door. The mother will only let you visit 53 universes. Do not ask to speak to the mother. Never hop more than 53 times. So that's that's kind of crazy. So the the story, I didn't read what what that was about. I'm just like, oh, number one image. Okay, I'm gonna read it. You you see the story with this this woman, and you know she's in this relationship. You know she we see her when she meets her girlfriend, and they get together. Like her dad likes her friend and or her lover, whatever girlfriend, and and then basically. It, it falls apart, but it's like you know you get you, you really get invested seeing them the relationship kind of growing a little bit and and stuff like that, and then it kind of jumps a little bit where you see you know they've broken up and she's not doing so great and we're we're seeing like other aspects in her life and so and then she comes into this like this door thing that can take you to different worlds and so it's a kind of a weird I I totally wasn't expecting that I didn't know what to expect like I said and. Um, it was, it was, it was, it was an interesting story. So I, I would say, you know, if you want something a little different, you know, definitely check that out. And, and yeah, so there was that, uh, there was also King Spawn came out issue six. I didn't read that. Uh, what else was there? Silver coin. Oh man. Silver coin issue eight. This was written by Matthew Rosenberg and, you know, Michael Walsh, of course, doing, doing the art and, um, it takes place in a, see, it says, when an executive in 1960s stock brokerage acquires a collection of antiques, so basically uh, the, the gap between the haves and the have-nots becomes painfully clear. So this guy like buys his collection. There's a coin there, and you see this janitor just like looking at it and like really, really kind of eyeing it, and he's like gravitating towards like the coin and everything like that. And I say I don't want to give too much away, but then you know obviously things are going to take like a dark turn and everything like that, and and. Uh, I'm so glad I don't live in the world of the coin because it's like something horrible always happens. And it's just, man, you just got to, got to stay away from that, that coin. It's just, just bad news. Um, and then time before time issue nine came out. I am so far behind in that. I, I need to get caught up. Uh, I will someday. I, I promise. <laughs> I don't know when. And then, uh, oh man, I was going to read a, so boom released a new angel number one. And, I, I have no idea what to expect because I'm assuming this is kind of like in this revamp new Buffy uh, universe-ish story or whatever. So I, I have no idea about that. So I, I do have a copy of that, that but I, I didn't check it out. Um, I because I was see and I want to read those. I, I've talked about I, I tried reading the Buffy comics. I think I started like at like 20 years or 18 or something like that. And I'm just like, what is going on? I feel you know if this is the beginning, I feel like we're coming in like season three or something like that because there's already like a lot of crazy things happening. It feels like they've been so far, but I don't know. Maybe it, it all makes sense. I'm sure it makes sense 
So someday I'll, I'll maybe read those, but yeah, I don't know when. And then uh, Secret Seven Secrets 13 came out. And as I'm reading this, I was like, one, it feels like it's been a while. Like, you know, maybe we had a, a little break in between like story arcs or something like that. You know, it happens. Let, let, let everyone catch their breath. Let the artists, you know, catch your breath and start, you know, getting a, some pages done and everything and not have to rush. But I feel like, did I miss issue 12? And I should have, should have checked to see like, what, what's the last comic that I have? And, uh, but yeah, so some, some things are happening. One of the things that, that I think is interesting about this, and you know, you see this from the beginning where like the main character, uh, Casper, you know, he's, he's talking about how he's going to die. And, you know, he's like, you know, this, uh, you know, you get those illusions that this is happening and, and, it's like really amping up here because when he, when they said it, I was like, they can't kill him because he's the main character, and you know we're we're seeing everything from his perspective and and all that. But you know, like in the back of your mind, it's like, well, you know, maybe they are going to do that. It's like, how how are they going to do that? And how is the series going to continue? And you know, who's going to be narrating it or talking about anything? But then here, there's like another like strong indication. <laughs> it's just like, holy crap! So I I, I don't I don't know where it's going but you know it's it's tom taylor so you know always expect the unexpected i guess it's, it's probably gonna be pretty pretty nuts okay then at dc comics uh so uh detective comics 1049 this is continuing the this arkham tower storyline and I, I really don't know what to expect here because you know we did see like kind of like the outcome of this like where things are, are going really bad and you know we're seeing people are involved and some people are undercover but what we see also so now i think because i mentioned like harley quinn being in, in there or someone thinking they're harley quinn but now i think it really is harley quinn that she's allowing herself to be locked up and it just seemed kind of weird like the the little glimpse that we saw of her and it, it could potentially be dangerous because we've seen where like the 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 hardcore arkham villains the super villains they're like in a basement room, but they're like allowed to just be like roam free. Like in the, I think they, I don't know if they, they don't necessarily have like free reign to like walk all over the place, but there's like this like community room or whatever. And apparently it has to do with like some drugs or pharmaceuticals that are being, it's like, what is this treatment that they're, they're on? That somehow they're all calm and everything. So, you know, there's something up with that and you know that that's not going to last. And, we have Batwoman going undercover as like posing as a doctor. So they must have like super like faked her credentials to, to make this work. And we also see that Huntress is, is undercover as an inmate, which is, you know, dangerous as well. So there's just a, a lot of bad things happening. And, and Nightwing is, you know, working his way in there. You know, I, I'm not, I forget where he's like hiding out at, but, um, Things, yeah, things feel like it's just all about to explode. And then there's like the backup story with the kid who, whose dad was involved with like some, you know, Joker business, stuff like that. And then Joker comes and basically kills the parents. So then we're seeing like what the kid's doing. And um, after that, and um, there's some, some dark stuff with, with, with that. So it's kind of, kind of, kind of weird in a way. Uh, See, there is a Wonder Woman issue. Um, I'm just, I don't know what it is, and, and you know, I, I keep saying this. It just really bugs me because I want to read a Wonder Woman comic, but 
I, I think just with the whole removing her from reality, you know, making her sort of a god, and then then when she came back, then she went like to Asgard, and then, then I guess she came back, and I, I don't know. There's just so one. I kind of feel like I miss all that, and I've just. I feel like there's just like so much baggage, you know, trying to get her back to, to just doing what you know she's supposed to be doing, and you know, then there's like stuff with Steve Trevor, and uh, I don't know, because like Wonder Woman soars across continents to save Steve Trevor, the evil force behind it all emerges. Uh, the doubles of our hero were only the beginning for the, for Image Maker, and he won't stop until Diana pays for what Janice has done. Who the heck is Janice? I should know that. There are many victims. Are there? There are many victims of the villainess's deadly rampage through the multiverse, and their wishes for revenge are now directed toward our Amazon princess. Will she survive, paying for the sins of another selfish deity? Meanwhile, the world. Of, I'm just. Uh, I just. It's just too much. And um, what there's. Oh, I forgot what I was gonna say. Now there, there's something else that. I don't know. So I'm kind of bummed. Nightwing 88. So this is good. Uh, the the kind of well, the bad thing is Tom Taylor fashion. You know, he's always making bad things, you know, setting him up like the potential. But Nightwing ha- has really put himself out there. He's put a huge target on, on himself. Uh, Alfred, gave, you know, left him a bunch of money. And Dick is like, I, I think it was like might be more money than like Bruce Wayne has now since for whatever stupid reason he lost his money and Lucius Fox has it all. I still understand how, how that works. And he's just like, yeah, I was your CEO and I'm taking all the Wayne fortune and I'm, I'm going to do what I want with it now. And, and sorry, Bruce, you're going to live in a brownstone now. <laughs> I don't know. So Nightwing is like, I'm going to give the money to the people. I'm going to help out. I'm going to clean up Bloodhaven. So people like Blockbuster are not happy with this. So they're putting like a hit out. He uh, One of the first things Dick wants to do is like make like a new homeless shelter or something. And as he's at this big ceremony, some assassins come after him. And uh, luckily, Nightwing, you know, Dick has some friends. And, and so, I mean, that, that was, I, I love the fact. Uh, I, say, I don't know if it mentions it in here. But I uh, will just say that some some teen Titan friends show up, and I, I think that's great because you you got to have that connection, and it, it makes sense that you know they would be concerned with him, and not that he needs protection, but you know especially if if he's going to be in a Dick Grayson guys, you know he can't just you know turn into Nightwing, you know because then people are like, wow, this guy has like the same hair, which <laughs> that that's a whole other thing. So I I, I enjoyed it. I, I, you know, it's it's a great great series, and I, I'm really digging it. Great art, Catwoman thirty nine. So Teeny Howard is, uh, I think this is her first DC book. It makes her DCU series debut writing. Um, it was okay. You know, I I I don't know what it, what I want from a Catwoman comic, but you know, she spent all her time in Alleytown. You know, she established herself there. Catwoman, not not Teeny Howard, and. Now she's returning to Gotham, and and you know she's getting involved with some stuff, and it, it you know we have Black Mask here, and you know there, there's there's some fine moments. I guess it wasn't as bad as I'm I'm kind of making it sound like you know what it sound like. It's just I I don't know 
what I really want from a cat man, Catwoman comic. I'm not sure what 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 I'm expecting, but it's like you know because she's a it's it's a I I would think or in my in my humble, my stupid opinion, I feel like she could be like a hard character to write because you know she's not a hero, she's not a villain. You know she's a thief still, but she's supposed to be kind of good, and you know she's trying to help you know clean up little little areas and you know do the right thing, but. If you do that too much, then it kind of makes her like a goody goody, which that she's not. So I, I, it's just kind of weird and all, all that. But there's there's some interesting approaches like what she's doing, and then we see this new. I'm assuming it's a new character. I'm not sure how I feel about this this character, but you know, it it could be interesting to see what happens. And I also feel uh, that the, the the book or the character is kind of tied down because. It's like Catwoman is, is supposed to be with Batman, but they've they've kind of you know they love each other and everything like that, but they kind of know that they can't be with each other because of you know what that means and how it would change things and and so I feel like that kind of almost puts like a shackle on, on Catwoman where you know she's not a, you know she's kind of tied down a, a bit or tied to Batman even though Batman has no presence in this book, but you kind of feel like. Is she still like tied or connected? So I don't know if that makes sense, but that's just how how it was. Um, and then there's a Green Lantern issue ten. I'm just having a hard time getting into the, this book, and and that that bothers me because you know I, I I like John Stewart, and you know we we have um, Simon Baz, and we have um, I think was Jessica Cruz in here. I'm not trying to remember. But and then uh, this Joe Moulin, I'm really starting to like her. You know, I, I I didn't read that Far Sector series. I maybe I should, but I I I think what I don't like is this whole anti Guardian whatever stuff and um with the the Green Lantern Corps being like destroyed and and then with John Stewart possibly like elevating into something else and. I just I I don't know. It it, just, it feels like it's too much, and I, I that's not necessarily a bad thing, you know, to evolve characters and you know just to, instead of doing the same old stuff. But I kind of feel like I I sort of want the same old stuff, you know. I I'm missing the old classic, you know, Green Lantern Corps series, and you know just you know maybe that's boring. Maybe you know that's just not what people want, but it's what I want. So it's it's just hard for me. And then Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow. Ugh. Um, yeah, I just I read a little bit of it. So you know, we still have the dude. So there's this this alien woman. Her dad was killed by this rapscallion dude, whatever thief wanderer guy. And this is the guy that maybe killed Crypto. <laughs> I don't know. So Supergirl and and, and this this lady, they, this girl, they've been. Going out, like trying to get after this guy, and they finally captured him. But Supergirl's like fighting; she's like off planet fighting some other stuff, and and yeah. So then, then the girl is like keeping an eye on, on the dude to kill her dad. I just I don't know. So <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Superman, uh, son of Kal El, issue seven. Uh, this this was fine. I feel like. Not, not I, I could be wrong, but I feel like not a whole lot happened. <laughs> and it's where the summary says Superman has recovered from the devastation. So I, I mean, are we calling him Superman here? Uh, I mean, he's not Superboy, but 
he's so he's hanging out with his new uh, friend Jay Nakamura, and you know they're they're trying to do stuff. You know, there, there's a lot of stuff with like the 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 country that that Jay is from, and his mom was like the president of the country, and then this evil dude like kind of took over and maybe she's being held captive and this evil dude knows Lex Luthor and um, Lex Luthor is like willing to work with him because he's, he's a bad guy as well. So I don't know how you feel about this, this series. I mean, I, you know, I like the character. I, I still wish Jonathan was younger. You know, I, I don't, I feel like we don't need this teenage or however old he is, you know, John, you know, Superman now, and this is just like also going along with the the idea. It feels like DC wants to kill off all the mainstream characters and replace them. You know, where we're seeing that with Aquaman as well, where um, what's this? Jackson Hyde is is like now supposedly Aquaman, and you know, I don't know if they kill off Wonder Woman. It's not like it's not like um, what's her name. Uh, one the new Wonder Girl. I'm blanking on names this this week, but her series is supposedly getting canceled. I don't know if I mentioned that, but I, I think I, I read that it was ending somehow. Maybe it's getting canceled because they're going to relaunch a new Wonder Woman comic with her. I, just, ugh, I don't know. They can kill off Batman because then we have uh, Jace Fox is can be new Batman, right? I don't know. If so, then just whatever. Um, booster or blue and blue and gold issue five this this was a this was a fine issue uh, i'm i'm i, th- I think because i i'm i'm not like the biggest booster gold and blue beetle fan i know a lot of people love them i i i have a deep respect for them I, you know i'm glad that they're able to be together now i hated in new that was one of the things i didn't like in new 52 is that they kind of didn't exist, you know, that, that, that friendship. So I, I love the fact that there is that friendship out there. Um, it's not like my number one choice, though. So, you know, we have this, this alien lady who wants to rule the Earth. She feels like she's entitled or so, so, whatever, and Booster. The thing, okay, here's what it, the thing that bothers me about the series is, you know, Booster wants to live stream everything. You know, he's all about the social media and just, you know, fame and popularity and everything like that. But as as they do this, we're we're constantly seeing these like comments, like pe- people you know watching are commenting, and it's just it gets old. You know, there, there's like someone is constantly saying like, "Oh, this is fake. This is you know deep fake or you know oh, whatever," and it it's just okay. I get it. It's just it's so old because they keep keep doing that. You know, we're in issue five and it's the same thing. And there's other people like, "Oh no, you know, uh, Blue Beetle's cute," or "No, Booster isn't," you know, and stuff like that, and. So we get we get a lot of that, and I don't know if it's supposed to make it feel real, like you're watching a you know a live stream or something like that. But it's just like it's getting to be too much. But that being said, if it wasn't there, it'd feel a little weird, a little stripped down. But I don't know. <laughs> I'm making no sense, right? Okay, then there was uh, Batman the Night number one. So I'm like, do we really need it? So so here's here's the synopsis: the origin of Batman. And his never the origin of Batman. Stop right there. It's like really, the origin of Batman and his never-ending fight against crime in Gotham City is is modern mythology. But what of the story in between? How did an angry, damaged young man grow into the most accomplished detective and crime fighter the world has ever known? Okay, that that kind of sells me a little more, right? How did the Dark Knight begin? 
Okay, a little interesting. But the kicker then is superstar writer Chip Zdarsky and acclaimed artist Carmine D. Giandomenico will take Bruce Wayne on a fraught journey, making allies and enemies and his training to become Batman in this definitive new series. So if it wasn't for Chip Zdarsky, I'd be like, why? So it, it was actually it was actually it was a good comic. So I did enjoy it. So I wouldn't think I'd say it that a Batman origin story is actually enjoyable in this day and age when we've seen it so many times. But because it's Chip Zdarsky, it, it was good. And then there is a Robins issue three, which again um, I'm a little confused. I, th- I think this came out last week, but uh, I, I I'm not love. I didn't love this issue. Uh, you know, there was some interesting things, and you know, I do not like the idea, the possibility that there was a Robin before Dick Grayson. I don't like that. I'm hoping that this will all come out that that this character, I don't even know what we'd call her, that she was wrong. And but what what was a little off is like some of the other characters, Robins, kind of felt a little off. I mean, Tim gets very like angry and aggressive, which makes sense. What when he mentions like stuff that happened to like his his parents and, and that, but I was just like. I don't know. So we'll see where that goes. But that that was it uh, for this week's DC Comics. At Marvel, we have Amazing Spider-Man 86. So there's more stuff about, you know, Ben. Ben Riley is trying to deal with the fact, you know, he's working for his Beyond Corporation. He got some information from Doc Ock, and he's realizing that maybe, you know, things aren't as as legit as they led him to believe. So, you know, things are, things are, you can feel it, we're, we're getting close to the end. You know, things are, are starting to go down, kind of taking this, this dark path or whatever. One of the things that, that kind of bothered me about this is, you know, so Ben's having like a therapy session or whatever. And they're, they're you know, he's, he's, he's spilling all of, all the beans about the information he got from Doc Ock and everything like that, because it's supposed to be a you know, private session and all that. But this Maxine lady is actually listening. And cause the, you know, the doctor was, was promised that there wouldn't be any uh, cameras or, you know, whatever recording devices there. You would think Ben's spider sense would pick up on that, that they're being listened to that, you know, he's hiding the secret. He t- said the, the hard drive thing that Doc Ock had was damaged, but he actually gave it to, um, what's her name? Janice? What's, what's his girlfriend's name? And the, by by mentioning this on while they're being what his spider sense would be like, hey, someone's actually listening to you. It's supposed to be the same idea of Spider Man approaching his apartment. He he knows if anyone's looking, so he knows when it's safe to crawl through a window that that no one might be you know watching from afar. So that was just a minor thing. So I don't know where this is going to go, but it's just um. I, I love seeing Ben, but I'm not super crazy about this whole Beyond thing and just just his portrayal. I feel, I feel like he's like a, a lesson person, like character. Like he's not as strong as he should be, you know, and and strong by like strong in character and just, um, just uh, what what am I looking for? Um, Self esteem type of thing. I don't know. Avengers fifty two. So. Here we have um, it's it's more about the the new masters of evil from the multiverse and everything. We see a lot about the star brand. I really don't like the star brand character that you know. So this baby, this infant, got the star brand, 
and then they the Avengers end up having like having to take this baby and then she kind of grew a little bit and she's this girl and then she's got like this, such this attitude you know it's supposed to be this little girl who's like swearing and has attitude and everything like that um there's another like ev- evolution with the character here but then it's almost like well what was the whole point of this whole baby thing if you know you're just you know changing the character or whatever so I, I don't know. I, I'm not super crazy about the, the whole multiverse bad guys thing, Masters of Evil. So, you know, it, it's meant to be like this big thing. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, I guess, I guess you know, the, my question is like, where is this going? And, you know, that we're, we're, we're seeing all of this. But we'll see. I mean, we get more of, of like the, the time death locks or whatever. And oh, we'll, we'll see. I don't, I don't know. And then there's a Ben Riley Spider-Man number one. So this is by J.M. Demetrius and David Baldion does the art. So this is kind of interesting. Um, it it goes back to I, I'm not sure. I guess my my question is: Does this is this like actual continuity, or is it just like a well? What if we did this? Because it's supposed to be. It says, okay, um, iconic Spider-Man scribe J.M. Demetrius returns to spin his webs once more within the Spidey mythos. So I think this is supposed to be like after uh, Spider-Man and Mary Jane went to Portland, Oregon, when when Spider-Man kind of quit. And this is also the time when Ben thought and Ben and Peter thought that Ben was the real Spider-Man and Peter was a clone. So then, you know, they, they leave and all that stuff like that. So. It's it's nice that we see Ben back in that time when he's Spider Man and you know working at the daily grind like the the coffee place and stuff like that. But then one of the things that's weird is he goes to the Ravencroft Institute and you know he talks to um, was it, is it Doctor Kafka I forget her name and you know he he like reveals his identity to her there which was was kind of kind of weird but. Um, I, I'm I'm just I'm kind of digging it, even though it you know it feels a little off, but it, it it's it's kind of nice to go back. And then what the, I guess the big weird thing is you seeing him there as Spider Man, and then compared to Spider Man now, it's just weird because if it, it feels like they're two different Spider Man. You know the spy the this Ben Riley Spider Man feels a lot more confident than the one now he doesn't feel as as confident and you know maybe because there's a whole death thing and the jackal well actually that that could be part of it because sort of jackal brought him you know it was like resurrecting him killing him resurrecting him killing him did that 27 times or whatever one of the things that was mentioned i think maxine said that they erased that part of his memory the trauma of that so maybe they erase some other parts so maybe that's why he's not as confident or like as mighty of a spider-man as he should be maybe that's it uh, maybe that that'll be, excuse it i don't know uh defenders issue five so i'm i i want to like the series you know i i love javier rodriguez's art uh the story is has been a little weird because it, it's like this out of continuity thing and so you know it's interesting with dr strange and with a uh, heart harpy whatever with betty banner and um, but the the main thing is like this masked raider, like who is this guy? He's got this infinity mask, and and you know there's this been this mystery about who he could be. We find out here, and I'm just like, okay, I think uh, that so the identity is someone that it's not like a a new 
character someone i i think i ended up looking up I was like wait who is this and it's something that has existed before uh but yeah it was just i was like man that's it at that i was expecting something a little more exciting and it wasn't really super exciting for me i don't know uh devils reigns villains for hire number one um this this was okay now it's kind of getting to the point where it, it's almost getting a little annoying the Wilson Fisk, just as his crazy idea is like, I'm going to make superheroes illegal. Yet he's empowering. So he's got all these villains, like they're like the police force, whatever. So, you know, you, you have the Thunderbolts, you know, you have Rhino. How many times has Rhino been arrested for robbing things? You have the, the lady Electro, you have um agony, whatever the heck agony is. Who is agony? Is she like a friggin' symbiote? person or whatever got whiplash so how can anyone anyone think oh okay super and because they keep saying that how superheroes are, are causing all this destruction and everything like that the dirt fights it's like no they're not how come the heroes are getting blamed for the fights but no it's the villains that that you know they're robbing they're kidnapping they're destroying things the heroes are coming in to try to that prevent things from getting worse but then the idea is like oh they shouldn't they're getting involved they're not authorized let the police the police can't handle it and you know it's not a knock against them but they're just not prepared for it they you know they're they do what they can you know having a gun and maybe like a bulletproof vest isn't gonna stop even someone like the rhino you know who just has this power just to you know bulldoze through anything so I just really hate the idea, and and you know this is kind of the same thing like in the Batman comic with the the mayor and what's his name saying that you know Batman whatever you know vigilant masks should be outlawed. It's like no, it's just it's getting too far. But to do all that and then you're saying okay, the Thunderbolts they're going to be our authorized police superpowered police force, but they're all villains. It's like no one really, and it's not like like regular Thunderbolts where you say okay, let's put them all in new costumes. And that way we will hide their true identities. They're not even trying to do that. But also just the fact that they're even saying that if you even if you have superpowers, you're you're illegal. We're going to arrest you. And like, you know, um, I don't know if this is the one. No, I don't think this. Let's see. The, the next issue. So you have more of them like doing stuff that they're doing. Then there's Devil's Reign X-Men. Um, which is by Jerry Duggan and Phil Noto. So, you know, you got kind of that consistency with the, at the X-Men books. But they're, they're going to go after the X-Men being in New York City with their big tree, a tree house, whatever. And it's like, okay, they, they have mutant powers. They can't be here. But it's like, that's just, it's so dumb that just because someone, they're, they're like busting down doors of people's apartment because they have superpowers or abilities and... You know, because the take over like the Fantastic Four, you know, Baxter building, it's like you're you can't see someone's property. And, you know, so now Doc Ox in charge of like all of whatever, anything that Reed Richards has done. Um, but Emma Frost is is trying to put up a fight against Kingpin. And, you know, she manages she wins him a little victory. But now uh, Kingpin wants to strike back because he's just a big baby. And and I, I so I'm kind of getting like riled up or worked up against this, and I know that's the point because Kingpin's supposed to be this big evil jerk, and you know we're supposed to not be happy, but it's just. But at the same time, it's like I don't want to just keep reading. It's like yes, we need this the conflict to make, drive these stories, but mm, mm, <laughs> stupid Kingpin. 
Eternals uh, issue nine came out. I didn't read this. I was going to, but I was like, maybe I'll come back to it. Um, see, it it is eternal indoctrination, <laughs> indoctrination <laughs> to eliminate excess deviation. But can our small group of Eternals overcome such programming when living in a city of deviance? We're about to find out as for the first time ever, Eternals fight for devi- deviant kind. Uh, I don't know. Whatever. Um, I mean, yeah, I should read that, and I'm not going to anytime soon. Hulk issue three. Uh, so Donny Cates, Ryan Otley, and I'm, I'm still not sure where this is going. So this is, uh, okay, the synopsis is there is another Bruce Banner. Where is his Hulk? To answer that question, well, it's a doozy, and it's about to change our Hulk's entire course of action. The most insane action-packed Hulk story you've ever read gets even more epic as Donny Cates and Ryan Otley take things to a whole new, to a whole other level. Uh I, I yeah I, I'm not sure I mean I love the art I'm I'm not sure and I again no it's this is a matter of like okay where is this story gonna go the whole like Starship Hulk thing was weird um but now I'm I'm not really sure what's going on because so this this other Bruce Banner he's trying to deal with the you know he's talking about like his world how things have gotten out of hand with with the the gamma bomb and you know he kind of tells his story but I don't know we'll see. I mean, I'm I'm actually gonna stick it out, obviously, but yeah, we'll I will I'm like I'm just at a we'll see stage right now. Okay, then there's a uh, Miles Morales issue thirty four. Miles Morales Spider Man issue thirty four. So Miles and his clone uh, shift. They're they're going to they they figure out where the assessor his his headquarters might be. So the assessor is a guy who kidnapped Miles and did all his experiments. It, Created these other clones, so he's uh trying to to go there. I'm looking at synopsis. It's like, what do the assessor's plans mean for Ben Riley and the Beyond Corporation? I didn't. I, am I totally missing something? I didn't feel like there was. I, I don't know. Maybe I missed something there. But yeah, I, I don't know about this assessor dude. I mean, it, it was a, a it was like a bad experience for Miles when it happened. Uh, you know, traumatic and everything like that. But it's just like and now I feel like it just it keeps it's dragging on now. It's like okay. Uh, Moon Knight issue seven. So th- this was good. Uh, so Moon Knight, you know, he's he was betrayed by a friend, and you know his his uh, his night place, whatever his uh, his headquarters, basically, where it was like destroyed and, and everything. So you know he's trying to figure out you know who's the Zodiac guy, and he's trying to get answers. And and there's a part where he just goes into the the, the bar with no name. And, you know, he just like strolls in there past everyone. And he's like, he's like, yeah, I've always known about this place. But basically, you know, it hasn't really been of interest to me or whatever. And he just like really kind of like, like threatens, you know, uh, <laughs> it's just, it's great. He says, okay. So he's like, I've always known about this place. It's just that until now, I've never wanted anything from any of you. And this, he's he he walks in place in his Mister Knight like suit. And he's like, let's establish some parameters. I'm not Spider Man, and I'm not the Punisher. He's like, they represent the extreme ends of the same costume spectrum. I'm Moon Knight, and you all know that means one thing. No one in this bar, myself included, knows precisely what I am capable of. I beat the Avengers. Imagine what I could do to any one of you. So and like now with my bona fides established, I am going to say one word and then I will leave. And he's like Zodiac. 
So, so he's trying to get some answers. So I just like, I just love that. I mean, it's a little cheesy anyway, but it just shows how you know he he's just like such a badass, and and I, I love the fact that he just like strolls in and he just like you you guys don't know what I'm capable of. So, so I I enjoyed that. Phoenix song Echo issue four. I really want to like this series. I'm just I'm I'm having a hard time with it. You know so. One, I'm not crazy about Echo having the power to Phoenix. It doesn't make sense to me. But then she's like going through time. Things are messed up. We got the stupid adversary, which I can't stand that villain. And that the fact that like her mom was killed, you know, before she was born. So it's like, how does she even exist? And now she's like back further. And then she's in the white room or whatever the Phoenix place is. And the adversary is like feeding off her powers and... Yeah, I, I don't know. And then we got Forge who wants to cure her because of dangers of it. So it's like what he's wants to take her powers away. And I, I don't know. Um, She-Hulk number one. This was a, I, I, I like this. Uh, you know, we're, we're kind of getting back to where, you know, I didn't really like, like the recent Savage Hulk, She-Hulk. And even like before, you know, like the struggles uh, Jennifer Walter was going through, like, you know, is she Hulk or not? Um, so I, I like this that you know she's back you know she's and she's trying to get back to you know being a lawyer and trying to get back on her feet you know have a job and have a place to stay and you know just, she's like at one point you know she's walking down the street as Jennifer Walters and then Titania Titania um, comes up wants to fight and she's like dude you know she doesn't want she doesn't want to Hulk out because she's wearing like her one good suit and you know she doesn't want to ruin it. And so I just, I thought that was kind of funny. And then she's like, you know, we fight all the time. What's the point of this? And, and, you know, they need to like establish some, some ground rules. And so I, I, I kind of like that. And then she does visit Janet Van Dyne, you know, cause apparently she's had some of her stuff in storage, which is, is good. So I, I, I enjoyed this. It was a off to good start, which I feel like, I feel like we haven't had, it's just crazy that She-Hulk hasn't had her own series in a while. And, you know, we had that recent series, but I feel like that was just treated like a mini series, you know, like they didn't intend on it to be a, a regular series. I don't know. So I'm, I'm glad that this is back and hopefully it will last star Wars high Republic issue 13. We're, big things are ha- happening for the characters, but again, I, the main character, even though I, I just read it. I couldn't even tell you like this one, Avar Chris, I think, that's who it. I don't even know who it is. Uh, yeah, so I'm I'm trying to to keep. I I'm having a hard time keeping up with who's who and and that I'm I'm still not fully invested, even though we're at issue 13. But I'm trying to because there are some interesting elements. I feel like I need to need like a, a like a a cheat sheet or something like that to know like who's who and and stuff like that and you know whatever. Uh, Strange Academy issue 15. Uh, my problem with this. So this. Calvin guy, he's just such an annoying kid. He had this, I guess, this magic jacket, and you know he lost it, so he has like no magic powers, and he's all bitter and everything. He betrayed one of the other students, like practically killed him, whatever. And they're like, okay, you didn't mean to do that, and he's just like really bummed and everything. So then there's this voodoo dude, because uh, since they're New Orleans, and so there's voodoo dudes everywhere, I guess. And, you know, he kind of makes a deal with him because this guy will grant you any wish. He's, what's his name? Gaslamp. So now he's learning all, all this magic powers and it's coming easy. And he's he's being a jerk about it. Like, they're in the middle of class one time and it's like supposed to be like this 
the, the fence thing and and he's just like sucker punching this other guy and just doing this it's just it's like oh so you're 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 basically cheating at how you're getting your magic abilities and you know you're you think that that's cool and and he wants to get more power and so basically spoiler the the bad dude's like it's like basically he wants him to convince his other friends to come to see him to you know ask for a wish you know so they're in debt so basically it's like here's some drugs hand it out to your friends you know and type of thing so it's just kind of like just a feeling uh then we have venom issue four um i'm really not sure how i feel about this current venom direction so I'm still not really clear, like what happened to to Eddie Brock, because it almost seemed like like he he died, because uh, you know he's out in space controlling all all the venoms. We know there, I mean, obviously there's no way, because there's still the other mystery about what's going on out there. Dylan's not sure what's going on, and what was weird is because you know Eddie comes back and he's like, Dylan, we got to go, you got to pack up or anything like that. And then while he's packing up his room, he gets a call from his dad. Who's like, don't listen or do what? So it's like, wait, how's there two? Like, what is going on? And and then, and then there's like, you know, he's like, don't bond with the with the venom suit, and he's like, do bond with it. And and then uh, there's this life foundation. They're they're coming after the the symbiotes, you know, after Noel and the attack, and they want to understand things and what is Dylan's his genetic makeup and connection with everything and. And what is Liz Allen's part involved with it? You know, Alchemex, and so there's just a, a lot going on here, and uh, I, I'm not really sure. And and you know, it's, I'm not supposed to know where it's going or like what's happening or like everything where it's gonna go. But part of me is like, wh- wh- where is this going? <laughs> then we have X Lives of Wolverine. Uh, I'm not really sure what like I don't know what the, the point of this. So the biggest Wolverine story of all time begins here. Week one, Logan, James Howlett, Weapon X, the mutant best known as Wolverine, has lived many lives under many identities and in many places, but never before has the fate of the future been so entwined with the past. Fan favorite eras of Wolverine saga are explored anew, along with never before seen episodes as Logan must travel to various points in time to prevent the death of a key figure in mutant history. But these lives are only one side of the story. Be here for the start of a time-shredding saga across all of Wolverine's history and future yet to come. But, I mean, okay, so part of my problem, my personal problem, get friggin' Omega Red. I cannot stand Omega Red. I just, I don't like this character. I just... And I don't even understand when, you know, they, they, they allow him to do stuff. And, and he's, like, killing people, like humans. And that's one of the big rules against Krakoa is, like, you can't do that. And then it's, like, they're not doing it. Then he's, like, working with Dracula and the vampires. And they don't care. And uh, now he's just... Uh, <laughs> and then we got, like, uh, Colossus' brothers also being thrown in the mix. And, and just, like, this time travel stuff. I don't know get what's going on. And I just, I don't know. Because then somehow, like, Omega Red is, like, possessing other people through time, and Wolverine's going after him because I'm, like, spoiling too much. Well, not really spoiling. But it comes to the place where it's, like, the birth of Professor X, and then, uh, you know, Wolverine somehow is there, like, chasing after Omega Red, and Omega Red jumps into someone else's body. He's like, oh, you're going to kill me because this is just an innocent person, and <sighs> X lies a Wolverine. But if, if you like, I mean, uh, I, I, yeah. I don't. I, I think part of it is you know I I like Wolverine you know he he should be a cool character, but 
part of it is also like I'm just I'm kind of a little over Wolverine. I feel like I feel like all the years of Wolverine deluge, you know, have, have just gotten to be too much. I still want to know what the heck happened to Wolverine's hot blades. Like, what was up with his claws turning hot? And then now there's no mention of that. What happened? I don't understand. Why would his claws turn hot? <laughs> that's that's what I want to know. And did I miss it? Did Eric explain that? <laughs> but that's going to be news for the week. Okay, then Superman and Lois, season two, episode two, the ties that bind. So just I'm just going to get into it. I'm assuming you've been listening. You know what's going on. So Lois makes a huge breakfast, lots of eggs, bacons, and sausage. And, you know, she's doing it because John Henry and his daughter Natalie are there. And because on their world, Lois was Natalie's mom, but she's clearly not here. So Natalie's like, she's like, oh, sorry. She's like, I'm kind of a vegan. So then Lois is like, oh, well, I could, you know, whip up some oatmeal and a slice of fruit or something like that. And Natalie's like, "Uh, I'm not really a breakfast person, whatever. And then Clark gets up and he starts getting like lightheaded. Like he's hearing some screams and pounding or something like that. He like falls to the floor. And then, you know, Lois is like, asks like, what's, what was that? So Clark says that, you know, he's been having visions since he saved that sinking sub. And then John Henry's like, he's like, oh, well, you know, I can take the kids to school today. And he's like, no, no, no that's fine. He's like, well, no, you know, I, it, it'd be doing me a favor since it's Nat's first day. So, you know, he wants to drop them off. And Lois asks Clark, she's like, what's in your visions? You know, they leave, leave whatever. And he's like, destruction, rocks crumbling. He's kind of like a cave-in. He's like, the last one I heard screaming. And Lois is like, you know, could it be like a planet, like Krypton? You know, leftover stuff from, you know, Zod messing with him and, the, you know, the, the whole Kryptonian stuff. But he's like, I don't know. Kyle and Lana are getting ready for this, uh, this like campaign get to, you know, meet and greet thing. But then, you know, they're going to the diner and like the other mayor was there before them for some reason. So it's like, is he messing around with something at school? Uh, Jordan goes up to Sarah. He's like, Oh, you know, you want to have lunch together? It's like they're at school. Like it's not like they have anywhere else to go, but she's like, Oh yeah. So then late, you know, they're eating the cafeteria and she's just, like kind of like studying and not like giving him a full, tension or something like that natalie walks by and he's like oh hey he's like oh this is my girlfriend sarah so you know introduce and and um then sarah's like oh so are you like old metropolis friends or something and he's like yeah something like that and he's like you know she's staying with us until her dad finds a job in town and then nat's like oh can you tell me where like the shop class or something like that and then sarah's like she's like oh yeah you're into that you know you're into shop or stuff like that she's like you know you won't have a problem fitting in and jordan's like yeah the whole town is a bunch of more motorheads or something like that and he's like sarah's dad even got her an old car for them to work on and you know sarah mentions she's like yeah but you know we can't even get it started or whatever and nat's like oh it's probably easy and she takes a piece of paper she probably is just the manifold this or that or what and she's like you know drawing out some stuff like what what they could do at the smallville gazette there's this lady Allie Alston or something like that is is uh she has this podcast and she's talking about journalists who abused her powers or something like that and Lois comes in you know she's talking to Chrissy Beppo and because Chrissy was listening to the podcast and she's like she says she's a cult leader who's responsible for a woman's death and Chrissy's like yeah the the podcast says that Lois coerced some of her sources and you know Chrissy says that it seems that you know Lois you know, sometimes bends the rule when family's involved and apparently like a family member was in the cult or something like that. And, you know, Lois is like, you know, this is fine. She's like, I, I get attacked all the time. It'll blow over. So Superman flies to the DOD. 
he goes into this like red room area. So Morgan Edge is like his prison thing. You know, there's like barbed wire fence and, you know, red sunlight on him. He's got his like library and a chair or whatever. He's like, whoa, whoa, hello, brother. And Superman's, he says that he wants to know something about the eradication process. So like the eradicator stuff that they did. He's like, could there be lingering effects? And Morgan says like, well, you know, he's thinking about it. He's like, well, I haven't experienced any other memories other than my own. At the mines, Lois and Chrissy are there to, to try to, you know, get a story to find out, like, what's going on, whatever. They're asking about the seismic activity. There's this, like, doctor lady who, who's who's there. And she doesn't really give much information. And, you know, she's talking about the effort, the, the company that, that she's with, that, you know, they're, they're trying to help. They're trying to keep, like, ex-kryptonite uh, from falling, you know, into dangerous hands and stuff like that. At the diner, Daniel Hart, the guy running for mayor, he comes in late and then he talks alone. He's like, oh, I got to talk to you. He's like, I'm dropping out of the race. He's like, I got a job offer last night and it's over in Bristol County. And so I'm wondering if this, the current mayor dude had something to do with it. Like if he called someone over, like, hey, could you give him an offer or something like that? Because she's like, well, what about this one? He's like, well, it's not a guarantee. He's like, my family needs this. You know, it's been a rough couple of years. And then, you know, he tells everyone, he's like, hey, thanks for coming. I'm sorry, blah, blah, blah. Jordan then runs into Sarah. He asks her if she wants to head to the diner. And she's like, I totally forgot. She's like, I asked Natalie to come over after school to work on a car. And then Natalie comes up, you know, all happy and everything. So she obviously having a good first day of school. Sarah's like, uh, you could come too. And Nat's like, like yeah, we, we could use extra set of hand. And Jordan's like, well, you know, cars aren't really my thing. So, you know, that's fine. John Henry is unpacking some stuff, sees his family picture of him, Nat, and Lois. Um, he's, he's setting up, I, I guess, I don't know if he's staying in there too, or if it both of them were just Natalie, but it's like John's, it's probably Natalie. She's probably staying in there. He's probably staying in the RV. And um, Lois, you know, comes in, you know, looks in, and, and he's she's like, yeah, breakfast was a bust. He's like, oh, but it's an effort that matters. And then he's like, you know, just be yourself, you know, to get to know Nat. And, you know, he says that, uh, you know, she'll, she'll pick up on that and, you know, she'll appreciate that, whatever. And then she's like, well, you know, another topic. She's like, I could use some help on the, on the quakes in the mines. He's like, my focus on Natalie's like, I can't get involved in anything dangerous. And she's like, well, it's not. He's like, you know, wouldn't even involve, you know, your suit, your, you know, his armor. And then uh, Superman swoops in, they hear him. So Clark says that Morgan Edge, Towel, Towel or whatever his name is, isn't being helpful. And John Henry's like, he says that he's going to see what they can find with the mines. And then Clark hears some shooting. Some dude uh, have like hostages in a small hangar at the airport. Police, you know, cars drive up. So he flies off. He swoops in, shoves a guy hard, you know, because he's shooting at the cops with like an assault rifle. And then um, the, the dude takes out this mask, breathes something in. And it's probably the yellow kryptonite stuff or crypt, or not yellow, X kryptonite, whatever they're calling it. Then he like pushes Superman and the, the chest goes flying, you know, across the, the hangar. And then uh, Superman, unfortunately, starts having another vision and the dude picks him up like choo, 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 kind of like Hulk Loki style, like slamming him, whatever. Then he's about to stomp on him, but then someone zips by and knocks the dude away. So like the, the, the super kids are there, whatever. And there's this third one with the other two. It's that kid tag that the fast kid that, that um, was taken away to the, the super school that general lane, you know, whatever is involved with. And then he, you know, cause he talks to him. He's like, are you okay? But Superman passes out. So then Anderson, the DOD dude uh, asked Superman, he's like, what happened out there? And he's like, then, you know, there's doctors, whatever. He's like, I don't know why we have Kryptonian doctors on the payroll if they can't figure out your physiology. Then he's like, if, you know, also, if you're not part of the threat reduction agency, I can't give you free reign. He's like, you can't interfere with our mission. 
And Superman mentions that the guy was firing on people. And Anderson's like, he was a drug runner and a weapons dealer. He's like, he stole a large quantity of ex-kryptonite from the mines before they got Amertech in there. So that, that was company. He's like, they, they handle it right after they, they saved you. He's like, if you want to be on your own, that's fine, but no more backup. He's like, you have to figure out, you know, what's going on w with yourself fast or, you know, you're going to be more a liability than a hero. So Anders starts starts to leave the room. Superman says, one, uh, he's like, one member of your team? He's like, Tag Harris, he's barely 18. And then he, Anderson's like, sure is fast, isn't he? So he's like, he doesn't even care that it's, this is just a kid. Barely, like, no training or whatever. So John Henry's setting up some equipment. So he looks at Lois and he, you know, he's thinking back to his Lois and stuff like that. And then um, she says, you know, he's like, oh, you just happen to have a seismometer, seismometer, seismometer lying around your RV. You know? So he just happens to have this tech there. So that, that's really convenient. So they set up, they're like outside, they're like above the, the cliff. You know, outside the mines, or it's like they got to be able to see them. You know, people down there, they're just standing there. They just set up this little scanner thing. Um, Kyle and Lana are trying to figure out who else they could get to run for mayor, because uh, you know the the current mayor, he's gone like ten years unopposed, and he has hasn't done anything to help Smallville. We all know who the obvious choice is, but they they can't figure it out just yet. Uh, then uh, football practice, like in the weight room, John's like bummed. You know, he sees this other dude like, you know, lifting this big thing. He's got like this little like baby weight because you know his arm is broke, so you know he's got to you know rehabilitate it and everything like that. Jordan is lying around. He's like looking at an old text from Sarah or whatever. And then uh, Clark comes in and asks if Mom's back because he's like, I'm going to the fortress. Uh, and he's like, I thought your fortress was destroyed. He's like, No, I'm going to my brother's. So he's like, General Lane pulls some strings and he's taking Morgan Edge there. And Jordan's like, well, he, he that could be dangerous, whatever. And Clark's like, he doesn't have any powers anymore. And Jordan's like, well, you can't go alone. He's like, you know, I, sh I should go to, you know, watch your back. So they they arrive at um, his fortress. Or Edge claims that he just wants to help. He's like, no tricks. He's like, it's going to be a family reunion. There's crystal floats up or whatever, and it's it's Laura's Laura 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 not Laura Laura's essence, and she's like, Kalel, is that you? So I guess this consciousness was uploaded before the destruction of Krypton, and then uh, so they, they talk some stuff, you know, because she, she doesn't recognize Edge, so she's like, you know, she, genetically Tal Ro is her son, but she didn't give birth to him because Edge is like says that she just has one son to help. You know, Superman mentions the divisions, everything like that, and he thinks it's because of the eradicator. And you know, she mentions how you know she wished she never would have designed that, you know, process or something like that. Natalie and Sarah are working on the car. Sarah says it's a lost cause and that's like, well there's nothing I can't fix. So then Sarah asks, she's like, how did you learn all this? And she's like and Natalie's like, you know, I spent a lot of time working on stuff in my in in our bunker. And Sarah's like, bunker. She's like, are you you doomsday preppers, whatever? And Nat's like, oh crap. And she's like, oh no, it's just what we call my dad's shop. Then Nat asks, you know, change the subject. She's like, what's going on with you and Jordan? And Sarah Cook is like, nothing. Why did he say something? And she's like, no, but that answer tells me a lot. And Sarah asks Nat, she's like, have you ever had a secret that you're afraid might change the way people look at you? And she's like, yeah, but. I'm sure it's not the same kind of secret. She's like, if you can tell him, do it. Otherwise, you need to get better at hiding it. And then she's like, okay. Goes in the car. Just like that, she fixes a car. She's like, how'd you do that? Um, at the mine, there's like small tremors coming, you know, that are, that are starting up. Superman starts to get another 
vision, just as these tremors are starting, so obviously there's a connection, then um, Edge, you know, he's looking at him like the Superman's like, you know, on, on the ground or whatever. He looks at his, his cuffs, snaps the cuffs. So apparently he lied about not having powers. He blasts Superman with his heat vision. Then Jordan steps in front of him and Edge is like, we've done this dance before, nephew. And then Jordan zaps him like in the shoulder and it knocks him back a little bit. So he kind of catches him off guard. And Jordan's like, I said, stay back. So at the, the, the John Henry, where he says the patterns he's picking up, you know, he's looking at sensor. He's like, they're not seismic. He's like, something is causing this. So in the mind, there's like three dudes inside. And then there's a creature, creature breathing like heavily. There's like, you know, according to closed caption. So something comes like stopping, grabs like two of the guys. And there's like lights on his suits. So again, it's, it's, it's gotta be doomsday in that weird suit. Why are there lights in there? I don't know. Um, Edge and uh, Jordan are fighting. Edge finally gets the upper hand, and he says, he's like, oh, your powers have matured, but you're still a coddled boy. And Lara's, like, yelling at him, you know, she can't do anything. She's like, you have no cause to harm this child. And he yells back, you don't know what cause I have or what I've endured. And and she's like, that's my my burden. She's like, you know, you're not your father, because, you know, his father was cruel and everything like that. So she's trying to say, you don't have to be like that. Uh, the last... Uh, mine miner he's he's the creatures coming at him and he like sets off like some charge to stop the creature so he blows you know the, the place up or whatever like that john henry says that you know whatever's down there he's like i've never seen readings like this superman recovers slams edge against the wall and starts pounding him in the face don't you ever touch him and lara is like yelling at him to stop and, he's, and he checks on jordan then he goes to edge he's like this was a mistake i never should have trusted you and lara's like it's like no it's like you were right to bring him here she's like i know what's wrong with you at the dod you know superman brings edge back and he's like oh are you going to thank me for reuniting you with your long lost mother and superman says that you know he's like she could have been a mother to both of us but you chose a different path you know he's like she believes that there's still good in you and you brother do you feel the same and superman's like no but i want to and then he leaves chrissy's at the paper and lois comes in and she's like those aren't earthquakes something's causing them we have to figure out what and chrissy's like bummed she's like the podcast went viral She's like, one of, of your sources is apparently recanting their story. And Creasy says, you know, we're, we're already getting calls from s- subscribers. <laughs> it's like, how many people are uh, subscribing to, to their paper, you know, to make a difference? I mean, I, well, okay, I think there's probably like online subscribers. So that's probably, I'm trying to think like, you know, who's delivering these newspapers? You know, do they have a printer? It's probably all digital subscribers, right? So she's like, we need to act on this. And Lois is like, I told you. She's like, I vetted all my sources. And Chrissy's like, well, what about your mysterious family member that you wouldn't name? She's like, who was it? And it's like, how much uh, how much family does Lois have? You know, it's like, who else could it be? It's not her dad. Uh, come on. Um, she's like, I'm your partner. She's like, they're trying to take you down, so that puts a target on me. She's like, can you please tell me the truth? She's like, who was it? So it's like Chrissy's just being so pushy. It's like, who are you? Because in like the beginning, she was in such awe, like the great Lois Lane is here. And now she's like all high and mighty because she owns this rinky-dink newspaper in Smallville that no one's reading. And she's – so then Lois is fine. It was my sister Lucy. And Chrissy's like, okay. It's like, did, did she take one of Allie's classes or something? And Lois is like, no. Lucy was in pretty deep. She's like, everything she had was invested in Allie, so much so that when Allie told her to find her other self, Lucy did just that. She By swallowing a, a bottle of pills and almost drowning in a bathtub. She's like, if I didn't find her, she would have died. And Christian's like, I'm so sorry. It's like, yeah, you big jerk, and you're asking these personal questions. It's none of your business. 
then then uh, Lois is like, well, don't be. She's alive. She's like, uh, you know, there's another family who wasn't as lucky. And Chrissy asks, she's like, if her sister was right about what she said, and she's like, you know, 100%. And then she's like, will she back you up on that? And Lois kind of hesitates. She's like, I don't know. It, it's hard to say. We haven't talked since the article came out. So Chrissy's like, well, that's the problem. If your sister is one changing her story, the public will never believe you. Kyle comes home early. And, you know, Lana's there. He gives Lana, like, a sheet has a bunch of signatures from the entire Smallville Fire Department supporting Lana for mayor. He's like, you know, he says that she's what the town needs. Like, you know, no one cares about Smallville more than her. And she's just looking at him, everything like that. She's like, oh, okay. Well, and it turns out, you know, she turns her laptop around that she was, she just finished filling out the paperwork online to make it official. So they both had this, the same idea, which, like I said, I mean, we saw it coming. Uh, Jordan comes home excited. He tells John, he's like, you're not going to believe the day ahead. And he's like, oh, as exciting as find out your main competition is a roid head. He's like, what? He's so he's like, yeah, whatever this kid, he's like, he's definitely on something. You know, he's the laziest slacker on a team. Suddenly he's benching 300. He's and then uh, there, there's a small hole in Jordan's shirt. And John's like, what happened? And Jordan smirks. He's like, huh, it might have ripped when I went head to head with Uncle Jerkface. He's like, what? And he's like, and the crazy thing is, like, I think I could have actually beat him. You know, he, he did land a couple blows or whatever, but it. I don't know if he would have beat him, maybe, but, and then Nat comes in and, you know, she's like, hey, and then Jordan's like, oh, is everything all right with Sarah? And Nat's like, uh, you, you, why don't you ask her yourself? She's out on the front porch. So outside, you know, Lana, or Lana, Sarah's sitting there and she's like, there's something I have to tell you. And he's like, it's like, did I do something wrong? He's like, I've been thinking about it all day. He's like, I can't think about what I did. And she's like, no, you didn't do anything. I did. I kissed someone at camp. So that's what, you know, totally when she got off the bus, I was that, the first thing I thought of. But then she continues, her name is Aubrey. And she and I, I thought we were just friends at first. And it just sort of happened. Jordan's like, so um, you want to date her now? And she's like, no, no, it was like, it was a camp thing. It doesn't really matter. It's like a camp thing. What does that mean? I mean, I've never gone to like a summer camp or been a camp counselor or whatever. So is this just a thing you do? You just like randomly kiss people or I don't know. So she's like, it doesn't really matter. Then he's like, well, then why'd you do it? And she's like, that's what I'm trying to tell you. It it just happened. It doesn't mean anything. And Jordan's like, thanks for telling me. He's like, I'll see you at school. And then she's like, Jordan, Jordan. And he just goes inside. So Clark tells Lois and John Henry what happened. But with, with the... Edge, and she's like, was Jordan okay? And he's like, yeah, just a little shook up. He's like, I never should have taken him there in the first place. And Lois like, well, his, you know, his powers are growing. And, you know, she's, she says that, you know, there's no way he could have known his brother was lying. Does he know what caused the vision? And he says that his mother says it was triggered by an invasive cosmological event, interdimensional kinesthesis or something like that. And he's like, in layman's term, you know, whatever is happening to him, another being is causing it. And Lois is like, well, you know, how do we stop it? And he's like, I don't know. He, he's had five of these visions, and the last one was more violent. And John, he's like, hmm, what? He looks over to date. He's like, five times over the past few days and nothing before that. So, of course, it lines up with the earthquake. He's like, there's been five quakes. So whatever is down there is causing this. And then we see that doctor lady the, the, who was working for Alchemex, or not Alchemex, or what, Amertech, whatever, She's on the, on the phone with someone. She's like in this little office. And I don't know if it's like a sat phone or something like that. She's like, you are right. Something came through. And it's even more powerful than we hoped. So uh, who, who wants to bet she's probably talking to Anderson? 
because I don't trust this Anderson dude. He, there's something up with him. And it's like, General Lane, man, why did you choose now to retire? Because thing, everything's falling apart. So I guess we'll see what happens. But yeah, I don't know what's going to happen with this Doomsday stuff. And it's just, I I have, have a bad feeling. I mean, I, I don't know if we really need Doomsday. Uh, especially, you know, when we had all the Kryptonian stuff with Morgan Edge. I mean, making Morgan Edge's brother, you know, that that's that was a bold move and all that. But now, yeah, I, I guess I guess we'll see. But other than that, I mean, it, it was, it's it's still a good show. I'm really enjoying it, and you know, by far the best CW show we have. Okay, then we have the Book of Boba Fett season one episode four, uh, the Gathering Storm. So it starts off right away. We get the back to tank. So we get a flashback right away. We see Boba Fett riding a bantha through the desert. He arrives outside Jabba's um, palace. He's watching from the cliffs. He sees, you know, some aliens, you know, coming and going too many guards for him to make a move. So then he's making a fire at night. He's eating, eating a roasted something. His bantha's hungry. So he shares it. And then, uh, the, when, when the bantha is eating and then it like belches, Okay, the belching was so unnecessary. It's it's probably just trying to add that little bit of humor or whatever. But when it was eating, it just it it kind of looked a little you know cheesy, a little cheap, just the uh, the way its mouth was moving and stuff like that. So that was just like, I'm not saying that it should be like all oh, CG or anything, but it just it just looked like a big puppet. I don't know. So then there's some like distant explosion. So he goes to check it out. And then, then that's this is where he finds uh, Fennec lining in the sand, like we saw in the Mandalorian. So he's riding with Fennec on the back of the Bantha. He rides to a small building. There's like some some dork, dorky cyber teens outside, and there's like this like electronic music or something inside. I don't know if that was really happening or if it's just a score of whatever. So this guy's like implanting cybernetics in people, and he asks, he's like, aren't you a little old to be here? And Boba's like, she needs modification. And the guy's like, no walk-ins, appointments only. And he turns around and keeps working. Boba's like, this woman was about to die. And he puts like a pouch of coins on a this little operating table. He's like, oh, you should have started with that. And he probably meant the coins, not that she's going to die. So then we get this like operating montage. <laughs> and it's like weird. The guy has like this mechanical hand that has like different cutting tools and stuff like that. So he's switching and, and it's, it's just. So basically they put like all these robotics in her gut. And. I almost feel like it's like did we? How did I not? Did I miss this? Did they? They may, maybe they showed it during uh, Mandalorian or something like that. I totally don't remember that. I sh- I feel like I should watch. It. If I had time, I, I would watch them again. But then he, uh, you know, Bob was like, he's like, aren't you going to close her up? Because you know you can see like her electronics in her, her stomach or whatever, like just a not electronic whatever. And he's like, and cover up with this beautiful machinery. So she wakes up later next to Boba, and you know they're outside another fire. He gives her like one of the water pod things. He tells her that she was dying of a gut shot wound and he saved her life. And she looks and she sees like all electronic stuff. She's like, what'd you do to me? And so she's like surprised. He says that he took her to a, a mod parlor on the outskirts of Moss Isley. It was the best he could do under the circumstances. So she, you know, drinks some water while she winces in pain. And then um, he recognizes her. He's like, you are a master assassin, Fennec Shand of the mid rim. She says, she's like, oh, I take it. I'm worth more alive. And he's like, yeah. And she's like, well, I'll pay you double my bounty. And he's like, I don't want money. He, then she finally says, she's like, well, who, who are you? He's like, I am Boba Fett. She's like, Boba Fett is dead. And he's like, I was left for dead on the sands of Tatooine. Like you, 
I was rescued by the sand people. They took me in and treated me as one of theirs. I tried to help them. Instead, I got them massacred by Nikto speed bikers. So Fennec says, she's like, speed bikers defeating Tuscans is highly unlikely. He says that he wants her to help him recover his fire spray, his fire spray gunship. I'm like, what? And that's uh, the big thing right there. So his ship, that's his ship, the Slave One. But we're not calling it Slave One anymore. It's the fire spray. It just fire spray. This sounds like such a weird name. I mean, has it been referred to as a fire spray starfighter? I, I don't know. But fire spray. But she's like, well, where is it? And he's like, it's at you know, Jabba the Hutt's palace. And she looks at him. She's like, Bib Fortuna took over his territory. He not, he rules a place from the palace. And she says that if it's yours, why don't you just ask for it back? And he, Boba's like, I might not, I might not like the answer. And he's like, without my armor, I might be less persuasive. And she says that if I help you, then my debt is paid. And he's like, if that is what you wish. So they go back at night. And you see his ship. He can't tell how many guards because there's too many coming and going. So she's like, well, I might be able to help. So she sends out this little like sphere probe thing, goes in there to, to like check things out. So then uh, Boba Fett says goodbye to his bantha, and it like licks him. It doesn't want to leave. And Fennec's like, shouldn't you wait until we get your ship back? And then he tells her of his plans. So she's surprised that he wants to rule because he's a hunter. And he says that he's tired of working for idiots who, you know, try to get him killed. The Tuscans took him in, made him part of their tribe. And, you know, he was ready to leave the hunting behind. She says that people like them don't get to decide when they're finished. So her probe returns and it puts out like a whole display. It maps out the entire um, palace and like highlights all the guards. And you can see like heat signatures or whatever. He's like, there's too many. And she says that they can time their patrols and they can go in quietly. So Fennec, they go like around the back somewhere. She cuts through some metal bars on this like great. And they, they go through like some tunnels. They pop up through the kitchen, which is run by like a couple droids. And they, they take them out, which is it was just kind of silly. Then they reach a hangar. Uh, some Gamorians arrive and then they, they duck. The two guards are taken out. But... Then the alarm goes off for some reason. So aliens come in, start shooting. They they make their way to the fire spray or to slave one. As uh, you know, or he he gets there. She, you know, she's holding off the guards. Then uh, like she hops on like the 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 loading the loading ramp thing, and he's like, he can't really see anything because you know, but the, the gates are closed. So they're they're kind of like trashing the place and all that. Is it's like trying to fly around this little little area. So Fennec, uh, she shoots this thing, manages to get the gate open because I guess it's it's run by cables and not whatever machinery. So they they get out, fly away, and he's like, the ship just needs a little maintenance. And she's like, well, there's you know good mechanics in Moss Eisley. He says he'd rather do it himself. He wants to keep his return from death a secret. So he says, okay, your debt is paid. Where do you want to be dropped off? And she's like, well, where are you headed? He says he has a few scores to, to settle. And she's like, well, maybe I'll go along for the ride. So then we see the speeder bike gang. They're riding, you know, on their, their speeder bikes across the desert. Slave one comes up, starts shooting at him from behind. Pew, 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 pew. They're, they're gone. He blows them all up. And then he just flies away. And so I love that, that, you know, he's he's getting his revenge on them or whatever, you know, for killing the Tuscans. But it's not like he doesn't need to get up close and personal do this or say he doesn't even need, they don't even know who killed him. He doesn't care. He's just like, OK, they did this. They're done. They're gone. That That's it. Move on. So then he flies over to Sarlacc, Sarlacc pit. And uh, then he leans the ship over 
is like so the, like the co- they're like looking down there he's like that's where i was trapped all those years ago so it's like wait how many years has passed since return of the jedi that's where i'm still unclear and i don't know if, if they've ever told us but I'm, I'm not really sure like because you know the, the other question was how long did he spend with with the tuscans even with the flashbacks it's kind of hard to say you know because he could have been with the tuscans for for a couple years but we're not really sure what happened and I, I I I feel like it's it's out there somewhere, but I just don't know. So he's like, "That's where I'll find my armor." But Fennec's like, "In there?" She's like, "It dissolve." And he's like, "Not Beskar." But the, the other thing is, he crawled out of the pit, and the armor was taken off him by the Jawas. Maybe he doesn't know that. Maybe he thinks it fell off inside. I don't know what what why he's thinking it would it'd somehow be inside. Did, did he does he think he left it outside and then the Sarlacc would have pulled it back in to eat it to suck on it? I don't know. So he uh, you know starts starts leaning the the the, sh- the cockpit like closer and closer to the opening. He's like, oh, I can't see anything. He shines a light and then the the sarlacc wakes up and then tries like pulling the ship in like tentacles are coming like trying to you know drag it in there he tries shooting at it and uh, you know this, this one tentacle has like a really strong grip on it fennec um she's like trying to get up and you know reach this button she hits this button and it drops like the the big proton torpedo thing and does a like like underneath the the ground so the the ship starts to to rise so the sarlacc is is probably dead so then he looks at her he's like next time don't touch my buttons but it's like dude you weren't doing anything you could barely hold the ship up so then he, he goes down with a cable he's like you know cr- climbs down there you know or we see him actually like climbing out he's like there's nothing in there but junk he's like my armor's not down there and she's like well it served its purpose it saved you from the acid and you know he comes out she's like pouring some some water on him and, and stuff and she's like what you need to, is to find a back to tank so I wonder if going back in there made things worse again because like he seemed kind of fine. So maybe that's why he he still needs a back to. So they have another campfire and she's asked if he's serious about forming his own house and he asks you know like how many times have you been hired to do a job that was avoidable, you know if if they only took the time to think how much money you know could have been made how many lives could have been saved. So he's tired of their uh, their kind dying because of the idiocy of others. He's like we're smarter than them and it's time we took our shot. And she's like we. And he's like, yes, if I'm going to start a house, I need brains and muscle. You have both. Fennec's like, it's tempting, but I'm an independent contractor. She's like, I'll do jobs for you, but I value my freedom. And he says, I can offer you something no client ever has, loyalty. He's like, I will cut you in on the success and the, the and pledge my life to protect yours. And she says, like, living with the Tuscans has made him soft. He's like, no, it made me strong. He's like, you can only get so far without a tribe. So back to the, the back of the tank. Um, we see some flashes of him, you know, shooting Bib Fortuna, tossing his body off the throne. He exits the tank. A droid comes up to him and congratulates him. He's like, "You are completely healed now." So Fennec comes in with a smirk. She's like, "Oh, what about the scars on the inside?" And he like says something about it, whatever. And then he asks if there's been any word uh, from the mayor's mayor, major domo. You know, is he cooperating? And she's like, "Oh, he's singing like a usum, but he still has no. There, there's still no sign of the mayor." So, you know, he wants to put on his armor. She tells him to relax. She's like, you know, the mods are combing the streets of Mas Espa. If he's here, they'll find him. And he says it's a good idea that he shows his face in town. And she asks, you know, she's like, are you sure about that? And he's like, war could break out at any moment. So he says, you know, power hates a vacuum. 
So at the sanctuary, Black Kersantan is sitting having a drink, and he's not happy. He's growling. Sees some Transdotions like they're like at a table, or whatever. So he finally gets up, starts fighting them, just like his boba enters. And you know he's he's like just trashing the place, and he grabs the last one. And a Madame Garza comes in. And she's like, I think you've made your point. And you know she's like, I remember you from the pits and how you were a legend, and you know all this stuff like that. So she's trying to talk him down. How you know he got this reputation stuff like that and now you know the way he's acting is just kind of like like a savage and you know it's not like not really doing him any justice or something like that and you know she's like you know you've also amassed you know quite a tab she's like you know let him down and i'll you know i'll wipe your considerable bar tab that you've worked up here so he's like you know he looks at her or whatever and then he tears off the transocean's arm and gives her a pouch of coins and he just goes to leave when he walks by boba he just like growls and Boba tells her, he's like, he's like, it was worth a shot. And she shrugs. And then she turns, like, hit it, Max. So it is Max Rebo, which makes sense that, you know, I wasn't sure if it was really him or not. Outside, Boba goes to talk to Kersantan. And he says, you know, it looks like he could use a job. And then he, like, slowly turns around. So that's good if he gets him on his side, too. Um, then at the palace, they're having this big, big meal. Fenix, you know, there's other, other people there. Fenix talking about how Jabba... Um, sat on the throne and how that ended in a ball of fire. Then Bib Fortuna took his place. They were all captains under the hut, but they quickly left the family when Fortuna claimed to be the heir. So he was a terrible leader. He had no right to the throne. They all tried to remove him, but it didn't work. So it took this man, Boba Fett, to remove him. And they all, you know, they all got rich under Jabba. They can again if they listen to Boba. Boba says that he may sit on the throne, but he has no designs on any of their territory. He's not asking for tribute or quarter, and he expects to, be, to give none either. He says that he's there to make a proposal that's mutually beneficial. As they know, the Pike Syndicate are bringing troops in to Mos Espa, so they've slowly absorbed the planet as part of their spice trade. They've bribed the mayor and they're draining Tatooine of its wealth. Uh, and a, a transocean says that they make many credits from the sale of spice in their territories. And this other alien's like, why do you deserve to be Daimo? He's like, what prevents us all from killing you and taking what we want? Then there's a, a, a loud you know, grumble, a growl and grumble from underneath. They all like jump up because like the rancor is like reaching up and the rancor is like mad or whatever. So um, then, uh, he, you know, he tells it, he's like easy and he like throws a bone down or whatever. He's like, oh, he's just a little hungry. So he asks him, he's like, please sit. But they're all kind of freaked out because they're like, you know, have eating over a rancor pit. So um, he's like, why speak of conflict when cooperation can make us all rich? So he's proposing that all the families of Mos Espa join in a defensive alliance until the Pike Syndicate is vanquished. The, the one rude alien dude, he's like, like, they've only challenged your territory. He's like, why should we spill blood of our ranks for a feud between you and the Pikes? And a transocean is like, yes. And, you know, he agrees with him. Boba stands. He's like, then I will fight these battles alone. I will vanquish these interlopers who threaten our planet. I will make the streets safe again so all in this room can prosper. All I ask in return is that you remain neutral if the Pike Syndicate approaches you to betray me. So he sits down. They talk amongst themselves. The transocean says, this would be acceptable. The Aqualish agrees. The other dude's like, I abide. So they raise their glasses. So they're going to let him do all the work. As they leave, Fennec's like, do you trust him? And he's like, he says he trusts them to work in their own self-interest. His deal is a lot better than what the syndicate would offer. 
So they may be stubborn, but they're not foolish enough to let the pikes eventually take over the whole planet. So either way, they have to prepare for war. So Fennec's like, how much treasure do you do we have in a reserve? And Boba's like, I have plenty of credits. He's like, what I'm short on is muscle. And she says that, you know, credits can buy muscle if you know where to look. And like the music swelling, everything like that. So we're getting some Mandalorian music. So I'm trying to think how their encounter left with the Mandalorian. Because it's like, are they, is she saying it's like, oh, so we, we can give the Mandalorian some money and he'll join in our fight. But I'm also trying to think is like Mandalorian has a black saber now, right? So he's controlling the, the Mandalorians. So is he going to bring all them in? Like, is like Bo-Katan and all them going to come and why would they want to? Is it just for money or is it because the pikes are bad? So, yeah, I don't know where this is going to go, but. Um, for everyone complaining about no action, we, we're pr- you know when this war starts up, we're probably gonna get some, some big big action. I really like this episode because one of my big questions was where the heck has Slave One been all this time? Because you know I I think I I don't know if I mentioned it here or not. It's like did he park it at a star you know port? Did he park it at Jabba's palace? Which is that's what happened. You know did he have his own? Because he wouldn't have his own place to park. I, I, maybe I just had a conversation with someone about this, but I, I like the fact that we saw where it was, and you know, we saw him get it. We saw him go back to the Sarlacc. Um, it doesn't make sense how he thought his armor was still there, but you know, it, it was good that we had all that. And you know, there, there's still a little bit of time, so we're not fully caught up to the present yet, because you know, there's there's still a moment. You know, how much time? Well, I guess we're we're just about there, because you know, then they're going to meet up with the Mandalorian and ask him to get the armor back and all that, but. But I, I just I enjoyed seeing that the the mod dude I don't know how I feel about that but whatever so other than that I, I I really enjoyed it so I'm I'm enjoying the show I I like that it's like a slow burn that we're we're getting these little details and I like that you know Boba Fett is supposed to be like the biggest badass in the universe or the galaxy but I like that they've toned him down a little bit. And, you know, it's, I don't know if that makes him more relatable or whatever, but I, I, I'm, I'm okay with that. Okay, then uh, there's How I Met Your Father. So I normally don't talk about sitcoms on the show because it, it, it seems kind of weird to do like a recap of a sitcom. I, I think the main reason is because when you watch sitcoms, like, yeah, there, there's usually like plot development or, you know, something happening. But the sitcoms tend to really rely on the jokes. And I could describe the joke, but it's not going to be as funny as if you actually watch it. Because I'm not going to have the same delivery or reaction. You know, you're not going to be able to get all that. But with this show, I, you know, I, I I don't really plan on talking about this. I just want to give my impressions on the first two episodes. And I, I just give you an idea, like, what happened. Because, you know, maybe you want to check it out. So I really enjoyed How I Met Your Mother. Except for, like, the last season. And and that was just a, a big letdown. So this show, it's not like a sequel. You know, it's it's a spinoff. It exists in the same world as How I Met Your Mother, but no, none of these characters are related. You know, it's it's not the same. You know, it it's not the same. They're just it's they're in the same city. So, uh, but I I like that. You know, I. I haven't really seen Hillary Duff in a lot of things, but she she seems like a down to earth person. Somehow I don't know when or how this started, but I I'm following her on Instagram. I don't remember like when I like oh I'm gonna follow this person. I don't remember how that happened. Like what? Because you know I never watched Lizzie McGuire or anything, so I don't know anything about that. But 
she seems like a, a down to earth person. You know, she seems like a, a good mother and everything. So with, with this, I was like, yeah, because because she's in the show and because the creators of How I Met Your Mother are involved. I was like, okay, I'll check it out. And so they they dropped the the two. Uh, first two episodes i like that they they use the same theme song it's sung by someone else it's you know it's it's a, a new i forgot i saw an article like who who sang it i do, don't recognize the the artist that, that sang it but i i like that we kind of had that continuity there whatever so it starts off, so i'm just going to give like a brief recap on the first two episodes and then you can decide if you want to watch it or not so it starts off in 2050 we see this lady, you know, she's trying to get her her smart house to call her son. So that right there is like, okay, what, you know, you're making fun of this stuff. It turns out it's Kim Cattrall. So she is the mother. So or the, she's she's basically Hillary Duff. Her she's Sophie. She's older Sophie. This is Hillary Duff's character. So she wants to tell her son the story about how she met his father because he says that he knows the basics, but she's like, it's time to tell him the unabridged version. So. One thing that's different here is we actually see we're we're seeing the mother talk to the unseen son versus the unseen father talking to the kids. I think this is a good move because what they had to do with How I Met Your Mother is you know they had to like they filmed the end during the second season, so they they knew how it was going to end, and they just had to hold off on that because the kids obviously age. But here, if you know, however many seasons this might last, you know, they can have Kim Cattrall, you know, being the same and not have to worry about what what the, the sun looks like. So it starts off where Sophie is late for a Tinder date. So now we're in the present with Hillary Duff. She you know gets in a a, a car, Uber, whatever. the The driver, his best friends, and his best friend Sid is the driver's name is Jesse. So he's going to be one of our main characters. His best friend Sid is is hitching a ride because he's going to propose to his fiance, and uh, Sophie thinks that she found a guy she's going to spend the rest of her life with. The only thing is he's from Tinder. She had like a horrible date before, and you know she was about to delete Tinder, but then she met, matched with this guy named Ian, and they started chatting and everything like that. They were like they started like texting all day and night, and you know she wondered like is he going to ask her out, whatever. But then. Um, it turns out that he is uh, going to Australia for two weeks and that he, he just came back. So that there's like the big thing right there. So like the, the question is, is Ian supposed to be the father or well, we also find out that the, the Uber driver, Jesse, that he likes her because Sid's like, oh, you like her, whatever the way he's like talking to her back on a date. You know, Ian came back from Australia because, you know, he was just there on his two week trip. But while they're on a date, he says that he's actually moving there. You know, it was only supposed to be like a research trip, but then they offered him a job because he's like this marine biologist. And he's like, I'm actually leaving tonight. So they chatted all this stuff before, you know, like when he first went there for his two weeks, you know, they're they messaging each other and stuff like that. This was their big date. But then he decided to tell her and instead of telling her right away, he I guess he decided to wait until this date when they meet in person to tell her. So that just seems kind of weird. Um, Sophie's like best friend Valentina's back from London Fashion Week or something like like that, and uh, she met this guy Charlie, who was a, a he's like he almost seems like he's like some British royalty or something like that. But his family like cut him off from his trust fund, so he's gonna be like moving in with them in their apartment. Oh, it's like okay. Um, Sophie realizes 
that she, you know, she's looking at how her, her friend is acting, behaving. So she realized that she let her rational thought get in the way. So she's going to, she decides she's going to call Ian. But then, uh, you know, she's like, he's leaving tonight, but I need to tell him that, you know, maybe we can make this work, you know, long distance because, you know, he won't be there forever. Maybe they can meet up or, but when she grabs her phone, she realizes she got the wrong phone because she was charging her phone in in the Uber car. So she must have grabbed Sid, the dude that was going to propose to his fiance. So they go to the restaurant where Sid was supposed to take his fiance. It, It turns out it's like, it's this bar, like pub place. It's not... McLaren's from How I Met Your Mother. It's this other place. They decided to change it, which is a good idea. So Sid owns this place, and he told his fiance that they were going to go to a Beyonce concert, but he's really going to you know, propose to her, and all her friends are supposed to meet them. So they go there, and um, everyone's like, surprise! And they're like, you're not Sid. And so then they have to hide again. And we then we meet Jesse's sister. She's a... She's, I think she was adopted because, you know, she's Asian. She was living in Iowa and we find out um, she's getting a divorce from her wife because there's only 600 people in her town and there's no other lesbians there. So she decided to move out to New York City. Um, so they're all hiding in different places. And then uh, Jesse mentions, you know, he's like in a storage room with, with Sophie. He mentions that he's never getting married. And she's like, Why? He's like, well, the one girl I wanted to marry broke my heart. And then she's like, wait, I know you. You're that guy from that video because this video went viral. And she's so his girlfriend was like this playing a guitar on this little stage in the coffee shop or something like that. He proposes to her and she says no. And then he like falls off the stage and everything like that. And and then the, the video went viral. So like that. But it's like, like who posts that video? It's like that. Um, Sid and the fiance walk in the bar and then Sid proposes to Hannah, whatever. She says, yes. So everyone's happy. Sophie gets her phone, but it died. So she has to charge it before she can call Ian or, you know, let him know. Um, then once it, it finally gets enough juice to turn back on, she sees that he sent a picture of, you know, he and he's holding his boarding pass. So she decides that she's going to go to JFK to tell him that they're meant to be together because she has his, his flight info. So they, they take the Uber there and, you know, some of the others go with too or whatever because, of course, you got to bring in everyone. I don't know how the outfit in this car. And she finds him in line. She says, you know, he says that he'd love to make it work, but it's a 14-hour time difference and it, he'll be out, out at sea often. There'll be, like, no service. He's like, it, it's just going to be too hard. He's like, you know, maybe someday. So then we have Valentina and Charlie are talking about making it work because um, you know, they're not sure. You know, Valentina is not sure if she can put up with this guy because you know he's very uptight. He's, it's like he's not even funny. He's just more annoying. They decide to, they walk across the Brooklyn Bridge, and for, somehow this was supposed to be for Sophie to see. Like, could she walk across the bridge on her own? You know, can she stand and be on her own and all this stuff like that. Um, so they, they do it. Then Valentina ends up talking to, to Jesse. She's like, you know, Sophie really needed this. And he's like, oh, she'll be fine. You know, she has her magic parents love story to keep her going. Cause you know, they, they talked about, you know, her parents, just like that. And, or she said something like when they were in the storage closet and Valentina's like, her mom is a party girl that jumped from guy to guy. And her dad was never in a picture. She's like, what's, what's magic is that she still believes in love at all. So they go back to the, the Sid's apartment and it turns out that Sid lives in Marshall and Lily's old place. And he's like, yeah, it was, it was you know, I scored when I got it. He was like off the uh, alumni, you know, website from the, the college or whatever. He's like, they even left the swords on the wall. 
So there's our big How I Met Your Mother connection that one of the sub uh, sets, locations, is the apartment. So I'm okay with that. Again, there's no connection to Ted or Lily or Marshall or none of them. It's just the fact that we they, they share that apartment. I'm totally down with that. That is totally fine. That way, we'll have that little bit of nostalgia. We won't see it all the time because, like, if if Sophie was living there, that'd be too much. That'd be, I mean, it, that could even work too, but it, it's probably best that it that it's not. So I'm totally down with the fact that we have the apartment existing there. So we'll still have that. We can still visit it from time to time. So um, then. At the end, so it's like, is she supposed to end up with Ian? Is you know, is he the son's father, or is it, is it Jesse? Actually, it could be Sid or Charlie, because what she said is that she met her father that night. And the other things that we don't know is, as the show progresses, you know, however long this is going to be, is we don't know if they're still together because I think Kim Cattrall wasn't wearing a ring, and the fact that she's telling her son the story on her own, not him. So it's like, did he die? Did he leave? Because if he died, you would think she'd still be wearing the ring, unless it's you know years have gone by, or you know, or maybe they just never got a ring, or maybe you know her hand swelled up, or who knows. Okay, then um, episode two. I'm not. I'm not going to really talk about this one so much, but it's it's episode two is called FOMO, which uh, you know, it's fear of missing out. Valentina got them an invite to this sensory deprivation club or something like there's like all these different rooms or something like that. And, you know, cause she says that she needs a night out after ending things with Charlie. So Sophie says that, you know, they should all go or whatever. And, you know, she said, you know, we should DM Sid and Jesse because, you know, they were fun the other night, you know, when they went to the apartment and hung out and everything like that. So right when they're in line for the club, you know, cause they're, they're on a guest list or something like that. Ian texts her. So, there's some miscommunications because Jesse thinks that it's a setup for him and Sophie because, you know, he likes her. Sophie, um, at one point, you know, because they're kind of talking and stuff like that. One of the things that, that she and Ian did is they, they would send each other pictures of, of Jason Momoa lookalikes. And, you know, there's like these different examples. But she sees someone in the club, so it's like a FOMA Momoa or something like that. And one of the things in the club is you're not supposed to take any pictures. So she decides to take a picture because that he texted her a picture of a Momoa lookalike or something like that, so she takes a picture. She um, she gets kicked out of the club, uh, and then Valentina she does decide to break up with Charlie. So it it turns out like Charlie and and Sid get along. Valentina decides you know she's going to try making up with with Charlie. You know he actually says it's too much. He says he's moving out. And then he says that, you know, then they, they can go on a first date since they didn't really have one. So they do like each other, but they realize that they took things too fast, too soon, whatever. Um, Jesse's trying to play a song in a jukebox, whatever. You know, Sophie apologizes because, you know, they were supposed to meet up in one room, but then she just like she got kicked out. So she never came back. And, and she heard that, you know, she found out that he thought it was a setup for them, whatever. He's like, you know, that's fine. Whatever. He says that he's a mess. His ex got his cat. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry, your cat. You know, she got your cat. She's like, no, it was my cat. It was my 11-year-old cat that I rescued. And I called her girl. And she's like, oh, so the cat could be Jesse's girl. And then Sophie's like, well, and now you wish you had Jesse's girl. So uh, the song that Jesse put on was Drops of Jupiter by Train. And that was like, that's Sophie's, uh, you know, go-to song or comfort song or whatever. So the fact that it's his comfort song too 
whatever. So that that might mean something there. And then she looks at her phone, and she never sent the t- the the text, the the FOMO Momoa. She had it set up, and then she decides to delete it instead of reaching out to Ian. So. Is she going to start liking Jesse? We still don't know who to follow. So, I mean, it was okay. Um, I, I kind of like the characters. I don't like some of the writing. Some of the writing is a little cringy. But it could be, you know, especially with the, the pilot episode and, you know, them getting to, you know, figure out their, where their feet are, you know, who the characters are and, and what jokes will work. And, I mean, that's the problem with, with any new sitcom is, like, sometimes the jokes are just too forced. I'm, I'm gonna. I'm definitely gonna keep watching it. I'm not gonna keep talking about it because I just don't. I think it's just awkward talking about sitcoms. I mean, I don't know. You tell me if you want to hear more because you don't want to watch it, but you're interested. I don't know. I, I doubt that we'll talk about this. I like the show. It's it's no How I Met Your Mother, but you never know because I I think it, I mean I think I liked How I Met Your Mother from the beginning, and you know probably because of, of Neil Patrick Harris. And and you know and the others, so we'll, we'll see. But it, it was it was a it was a it was a good show. I didn't absolutely love it, but it there's enough there for me personally. My my uh, um, sappy heart, whatever, will give it a, a, a continued shot. So it may not be for everyone, but I'm gonna keep watching it. Okay, then Servant, Season 3, Episode 1, Donkey. So the show is back, uh, Apple TV+. Plus. Yeah, if you've been listening, I, it's, I, I, I don't even know how I could describe this, but you should either look it up or listen to past episodes. But basically, we had this couple in New York. They had a baby. Um, the horrible thing happened is there's a little postpartum depression, whatever, and the, the mom accidentally left the baby in the car. In, in the heat in the car seat and it died and she didn't quite realize that so then she was like in this huge like denial that her her, her baby died and they got like this living doll thing is it like it's this creepy like fake doll that she thought was like alive and you know she was just totally oblivious you know fooling herself that you know the baby was was still alive and everything so and it's to the point where they actually were going to hire a nanny because she she's a newscaster so she's going to go back to work and the the husband you know he's like this chef and you know and he's like he's like yeah it's it's not a real baby you can just hang out a day do whatever you want you're gonna get paid and then the baby there's a baby so somehow this nanny made this baby happen we find out that she was like sort of in this cult or whatever so there's like something with powers can she bring things to life and like what's going on and then the the cults tried coming back or you know they they tried taking her and there was this conflict in last season and uh you know with her uncle george and aunt josephine they came back for her and they tried taking her away and and then then uh the baby was gone so now the baby's back they're back and and uh they've come into conflict against the cult and you know so what is what's going to happen so we actually get like a new intro because the the intro in the, the first two seasons was just kind of this creepy you know like a low like letter lullaby music or something like that going down the hall and then it just gets like kind of creepy when you reach the end of the hall but here like it kind of comes through the back door of like their their brownstone and then um then the door opens and there's like these people standing outside and it's like is Leanne holding Jericho the baby or it's like so it was a little different. I didn't quite like it as much, but whatever, it's fine. So Leanne wakes up from a dream. There's like these voices 
And then she kneels by her bed and she's got like this one dagger or whatever. And she's like praying or something like that. She puts it on her pillow. She's sitting with a journal, but she doesn't write anything. She showers. We see like slashes on her back because, you know, she would like whip herself or, you know, whatever, berate herself. And then uh, brushes her hair. There's like dead moths or whatever on a windowsill. She grabs one and palms it, like puts it, like covers it with her her other hand. It's like, I, I don't know if she's like trying to bring it back to life or something like that. And then, uh, then she goes to Jericho's room. The crib's empty. She goes downstairs. Jericho's there with Dorothy and Sean. They're going, uh, talking about all their stuff or whatever. Um, Jillian's there too. Uh, that's uh, Dorothy's the, the mother's. That's Dor- Jillian's the uncle. And uh, then she's like, "Why is the back door open?" And you know, there's just all in the middle of her conversations. Right? They're not really like, paying attention. They're kind of fussing over Jericho, feeding him because you know he's getting a new tooth and stuff like that. I want to take a picture and. And at one point, Leanne, Leanne just slams the door, and they, they all it kind of startles them. So Dorothy's like, "There's no one out there." She's like, "We looked," and Leanne's like, "You wouldn't know what to look for because you know she's worried about the cult people coming back or whatever." So Dorothy, Dorothy's like, "It's been three months since Aunt Josephine, who you said isn't coming back. That's because she's dead. Like her dead body, roasted dead body, is like between the wall, like in in Leanne's room." She's like, if the rest were going to come for you, like, wouldn't they have done so already? And Leanne's like, they're patient. And Sean's like, well, you know, maybe we should cancel our trip to the shore. And Dorothy's like, no. It's like, we need to air in the sunshine. So they're going to go to Jersey Shore or something like that. So Leanne is putting, like, butterflies and bugs and roaches, like, under glasses and, like, in her medicine cabinet. So I'm not really quite sure. I feel like I'm missing something there. I don't know if it's something biblical. I don't know. Julian is, is uh, supposed to take Leanne and Jericho under a walk because um, Sean says he has to take some errands. Leanne is like very hesitant about going outside. She's like nervous and you know she's looking around everywhere because Sean's like you know Dor- Dorothy told Sean to take her and you know like you know maybe you can actually make it to the park this time or something like that. So she's looking everywhere. Uh, Julian and and uh, Leanne talk about things because so they had sex last season, which was kind of weird, and because he had a girlfriend. And I guess they still kind of are whatever, even though he's with another girlfriend. So they're not really doing anything. And he's like talking about like kind of anything. She's like, no, she's like, I like having sex or whatever. And so I think she just likes just a feeling that, you know, and doesn't want a commitment or anything. And, you know, so it's just kind of weird about all that. They um, barely get a few houses down. Uh, and then she sees this old dude standing across the street. So it's like, is that her uncle George or whatever? So she crosses the street and she, you know, turns a guy around. And it's just like, it's some other like old dude or whatever. So she just goes back and and then you know takes the the, the baby carriage back, and then uh, Julian you know follows along. And then when they get to the place, like this chunk of concrete like falls on building, almost lands on top of them. And like at the end, you know, there's a little like a- after the you know M Night Shyamalan talking about the episode and stuff like that. And he was kind of saying like the house is kind of feeling like what Leanne's feeling that you know, maybe she was a little embarrassed or she's upset, and the house is kind of feeling that too or whatever. And so that was just kind of weird. Um, so Julian got a gift for Sean and Dorothy. So it's like this exercise bike, or whatever. Um, and you know, Sean comes home and, and Julian's like on it. He's like, Dorothy's going to kill you. Cause you know, it probably doesn't go with the aesthetics of the room or whatever. Sean goes downstairs and Leanne's like sitting down there. Cause there's that, that big hole in, in the, the, the basement. And he says that the, you know, the last contractor couldn't fill it. So he's contacted the city and, and the, someone in the city knows a geologist or something like that. Cause for some reason they, they, they can't fill up the hole. It just keeps emptying or whatever. And, you know, there's a little liquid and stuff down there. Leanne puts Jericho in a crib. 
um, Dorothy's, you know, out in the hall. She just got home and she got Leanne a bathing suit. And you know, she's like, I figured you probably don't have one. And, you know, I know it's going to be cold, but just you'll have it. And she's like, how's the journaling going? And she's like, well, and she's like, and Dorothy's like, just keep with it. She's like, you know, writing your feelings will make them real. And, you know, that can be p- terrifying, but that's what will give you power over them. So uh, Leanne, she doesn't even like put the, you know, she doesn't try to bathing suit on. She just puts it in a drawer whatever then she's looking at this painting on a wall and then there's like this hole above it and it's like this butterfly or this blue moth or something like crawls out of the hole whatever so it's just like where do you, what what's up with all these moths and everything so breakfast before the trip to the beach julian um and his new girlfriend vera vera arrive so um leanne's then she's you know she's still very nervous about going out and everything like that she's like well you know maybe it's better if i don't go you know she's like i you know i don't want to ruin it for you guys but they're like oh no no whatever but they're like all right fine um they leave and you know she locks the doors checks all the windows sets the alarm whatever she's like looking out the window you know people walking by she's just like super paranoid about everything then she takes all like the, the dead bugs and whatever you know some in the window so she puts them in the garbage she dumps the others in the medicine cabinet does laundry, she cleans the windows, does other house duties, vacuuming and stuff like that. And then this this door down the hall like slams shut. So she goes and checks. And then what it is is the air conditioner because when she goes in the room, then the door like closed behind her. So it must be the air conditioner. So she like turns it down or whatever. And then um, she goes down, makes some tomato soup. She's sitting by the hole in, in the basement. Sean like FaceTimes her to, to check on her. And she's like, you weren't followed? And he's like, no, I don't think so, whatever. And then, uh, you know, Dorothy's showing off Jericho to anyone she can, whatever. Julian and Vera look happy. So I guess they met at rehab and, you know, whatever. So they're, they're together. And then he he's like, oh, I see you're in the basement again. He's like, well, you know, you know, three rows from the bottom, you know, last one bottle on, on the right, whatever. She's like, he says his wine, wine it goes would go great with a bowl of tomato soup. He's like, just relax, you know, just, just enjoy it. She's drinking some wine. She has her journal. D- then she, you know, she's she's looking in, in the, the the water in the in the hole. It's kind of bubbling a little bit. And then as as this, she's just like staring at it, then she starts kind of like writing in her journal or like drawing without looking. And she, you can see her her hands start, starts fr- frantically moving as she's staring at this bubbling water. And and as she's doing this, like this tear tear like falls on her cheek. And then she looks at at her journal, and there's just like a bunch of like little like checks or something like on the paper like all over uh i think she finished the bottle she's lying in bed she calls toby uh that was like the sean's like assistant chef or whatever that they kind of you know they were trying to set them up but it never really happened whatever she asks if he wants to come over she's like we're alone and she's like i'm wearing a two-piece bathing suit or whatever and he's like oh that's cool he's like um i'm holding a friend to move he's like i could be here by 10 tonight and she just hangs up on him but she wasn't wearing the bathing suit she's so she's lying in bed like under the covers and she just has a bathing suit like laying on top of the covers on her so she thinks about um calling dorothy and she's looking at her phone but then dorothy actually facetimes her and she's like oh i thought you'd want to see this so you know jericho has his feet on the beach you know and and everything like that she also like turns the camera on shows her the ocean and dorothy's like it's actually freezing here so watching from the comfort of home was you know was a wise choice and then she's like next time you know because she really wanted her to go and then she's like you know julian was attacked by a flock of rabid seagulls and you know she shows these see his face got cut up a little bit and then leanne sees her journal on the floor and she checks on it and the the little the checks that she made it almost looks like a flock of birds so it's like did that have something to do with it then 
um, there's someone in the, in the bedroom. You know, she's on the hall and someone's going through a drawer. And then she, like, she goes in a hall closet. And then, like, the TV automatically turns on because Dorothy has it on a timer that it records whatever that the broadcasts are every night. So she calls Sean. She whispers, there's someone in the house. And he's like, okay, hide. She's like, call the police, whatever. And then she walks up the stairs. She hits, like, a creaky floorboard. And then she hides in like the big cabinet armoire, whatever thing in her room. The dude comes in and she's, you know, thinks about how Aunt Josephine is, is in there. And she looks at her like, you know, between the wall or it's, it's this weird space, whatever. And there's like loads of moths and, and stuff like butterflies on her. And they like kind of go at her and she, you know, can't scream or anything like that. The dude's still looking around the room. And then he goes to leave with a bag full, whatever he, he took. And she gets... She comes out of her hiding place, and we see, like, from the hall, and then, like, the phone goes off. So he goes back to check, and he finds a phone, like, on the floor in a closet, and she slams the door behind him, locks him in there. And she's like, who sent you? She's like, who's in charge now? And she's like, I was like you. She's like, we weren't reborn just to follow. And you can hear, like, sirens approaching. And she's like, we have our own light. We have a choice. And the police are knocking on the door or whatever. The dude busts the door open, knocks her back, and he, like, runs down the stairs. So I guess he got away. He must have gone out the back door. Which, you know, I guess makes sense if they're at the front door. And then, you know, so we, we see her, like, after she's sitting on the floor drinking tea or whatever. The officers are standing, you know, by her. Everyone comes home. And, you know, Dorothy checks on her. Leanne, you know, says she's okay. And then, you know, she's like, I just, I just need to use the bathroom. So the police tell them that based on what the nanny said and what they saw, the break-in is consistent with a string of burglaries in the area. So the intruder waits for family to leave for the weekend, then they enter the home. So he accessed through a skylight in the attic and appears that he may have taken several items from the house. So Leanne, in, in a room, she checks on her pillow and that like dagger thing is gone. So I was like, I don't know if the dude took it. And, you know, why would you look under a pillow? I mean, that's like a weird place. So then Dorothy tells Leanne that, you know, she wants to get security cameras for the house, whatever. She says that, you know, they're, they're there for her. And then um, she leaves the room, whatever. And this other moth like flutters by the, the lamp. And that's where it ends. So I have to say, while I, you know, I deeply enjoy the show and everything. And I'm really curious about where things are going and what's happening and, you know, what the whole secret and mystery, you know, of everything. I wasn't super excited about this episode. I mean, I, I liked it, but it didn't uh, it didn't blow me away as much as, as past ones. But that being said, I am happy that the show's back, and I'm excited to see like where the season's going to go. And I know things are, you know, based on like the the trailer clips or whatever we've seen, like things are going to get get pretty pretty crazy. Okay, so now I want to talk about Peacemaker. So we're going to talk about episodes 101 to 104. They dropped three episodes the first week, and then one episode last week. And I have to say, I, I'm really enjoying this show. I, I'm really surprised. I'm, I'm not the biggest John Cena fan. I mean, he's fine. I, you know, I, I don't watch wrestling. Uh, sorry. So, you know, I, I don't really have much investment in him. And his character in the movie was funny. I, I, I could appreciate it and everything. But, like, the one thing he did, if you know what I'm talking about, you know, was, wasn't, wasn't okay and, you know, he's kind of a jerk. He's a little arrogant, but that, you know, he's supposed to be. So when I was like, they're making, making Peacemaker shows, like, of all the, all the characters, like, why him? And, and that was, okay, that's probably the point and everything like that. But I have to say, as we get further along in the show, I mean, I'm starting to appreciate him more and more. And the show is hilarious. It's uh, inappropriate at times. You know, not not overly inappropriate sometimes. And, and that, like, adds to the humor. And, you know, maybe some of the humor is lowball humor or whatever. But 
I, I think it's funny and entertaining, and, and I, I can't wait for it. And the opening sequence, oh my gosh, uh, it's it's just it's crazy. So we'll talk about that. I'm just going to jump into it because this I feel like this is going to be long because I'm going to do like full-blown recap. So episode one, Whole New World, W-H-I-R-L-E-D. So it starts off with Peacemaker's doctor talking to him because he was shot and a building fell on him. He, all it needs to be replaced is a clavicle. So he's being discharged if he keeps up with his physical therapy. Uh, and then, you know, he's, he's like, okay. Then he talks to this guy, Jamal. He's like mopping the floor in the hall. He's like, because he's like, hey, I don't know you. He's like, we smoked weed once. He's like, that was just a one time, whatever. He's like, I, I, I know you. I feel like I can trust you, whatever. So he's, he says that, you know, he's being discharged, but he's supposed to be in prison. And the guy's like, for what? He's, he's like, for superhero poop. And Jamal laughs at him. He's, he's like, you're not a superhero. He's like, you're too bulky. He's like, superheroes are more like gymnasts. He's like, all right, then who are you? He's like, I'm Peacemaker. He's like, get out of here. He's like, there's no superhero called Peacemaker. And he's like, I'm famous. And he's like, well, not that famous. He's like, Aquaman's famous. And he's like, F Aquaman. He's like, no, don't say that. He's like, why are you saying that? He's he's like, well, he's he's like, well, he's do, doing it with fish. He's taking it too far. And he's like, Jamal refuses to believe that he does that. Then he's like, are there any cops out there? And he's like, no. So he's like, okay. So he goes back in his room, puts on his bloody suit, like his peacemaker suit, and just leaves. And a nurse, like as, as he's walking, he's like, hey, he's a total douchebag, whatever. And this other nurse, like, texts someone, said he's on his way. And he he then he like looks out the window, he like runs in and dives into his cab. So then we get the intro and the song. Do you do you want to taste it? Um, I, oh, I forgot the band's name. It's like this total cheesy 80s dance intro and it is it's just insane and it's like the, the whole cast like dancing around a super choreographed thing and it, it's just it's nuts it has nothing to do with the show but i mean they've released you know you you can if, if you have not already seen it you need to you know look at peacemaker intro and you'll see this this crazy video that that is it's just nuts one of the things that james gunn said you know, he, he says he really hopes that people don't skip the intro. And he's like, as you watch each episode each week, the intro kind of gets a little little sadder as you see, like, who Peacemaker is. So there's some truth to that. So it starts off, um, we see this, this couple, this two ladies, Leota and her wife, Kia. They're like, Leota's supposed to keep an eye on Peacemaker or something like that. When uh, Peacemaker arrives at at his his place, the cabbie won't take his foreign money because he you know he doesn't have any money on him. He just has him from from that where, wherever they they were where they they fought starfish, and so <laughs> he ends up having to give him his his helmet, and <laughs> and then he so he gets dropped off at this like trailers painted like with you know USA colors whatever. He there's he can't get in, so he has to bust through the back window. And the place is pretty messy. His his old phone is like plugged in. There's 418 missed calls, 3,808 new messages, 2,376 unread emails, and you know he's like checking. His his dad was supposed to shut off his phone or something like that, but he didn't. So because he was in jail, so he's like starts checking the the voice messages, and they're from vigilante. He's, he claims he's his, his BFF, and he keeps calling. And then uh, the the agents from the movie surround around the the camper. This dude Clemson Mern walks in, so he's he tells Peacemaker that he's only served four years of his thirty year sentence, and he says that he's shown that he was loyal, and you know he went on black op missions around the world. So he's giving him a chance to stay out of prison and work for him. Mern says that he reports directly to Amanda Waller, 
So Amelia Harcourt, the the blonde from the movie, she'll be his handler in the field. John Economos, who is like the the big annoying guy, whatever, like the kind of messy beard guy, whatever. He's going to do tech and tactics. He's going to do tech and tactics, which I can't even say. And he, you know, he he just goes and starts eating food out of Peacemaker's fridge, bec- and he's like, "Oh, I got low blood sugar," so he's just helping himself. Uh, and then Peacemaker's like, "You're eating four year old olives," and he just like kind of like spits them out, whatever. They have a new recruit, Leota Adebayo. <laughs> Should I edit that? Adebayo. Um, she's gonna be doing most everything else, whatever. So Peacemaker asks, what's the op? And they say it's a domestic situation known as Project Butterfly. Peacemaker comments, he's like, oh, you're not too creative with, with, with uh, you know, project names. And he's like, what are we fighting, Mothra now? And Harcourt kind of like smiles at, at Economos. And Murren clarifies, he's like, it's not Mothra. And he's like, they need him to do um, contract work to kill bad people, which they call butterflies. And he's like, if he says no, he's going to return to Belle Reve. And he still has a bomb in his head so they can track him and blow blow him the, the heck up. So Mern tells him to meet him for dinner. And Peacemaker, he's like, he says he'll be there, but he just has to swing by his dad to pick up Eagly. He's like, who's Eagly? He's like, don't you do your research? He's my, my sidekick. So he goes to his dad's place. His dad's Augie Smith. A neighbor asks him, he's like, hey, he's like, are you that Peacemaker guy? Aren't you a villain? And, you know, but he doesn't, his dad answers door and he doesn't say anything. So his, his dad's watching the fact channel inside, which is, you know, crazy news show, whatever. And he's just like, not really saying much. Doesn't really, he's not even happy to see him. You know, it's been four years, whatever. And, you know, then he mentions that he's been paying. He's like, you didn't cancel my phone. He's like, I've been paying for phone service for four years, whatever. And he's like, oh, it's my fault now you effed up. So he, he asked him about Eagly. Yeah, he's been feeding him or whatever. So Eagly's out in the garage. He's an actual like eagle. And Eagly's very excited to see him. And then he actually like puts his arms up, his wings, and like hugs him. He's like, oh, Dad, can you take a picture of it? And his dad just like walked away. He doesn't even see it. doesn't care. So Harcourt and Economos are pretty rude to Leota, the new girl. They're, they go to this like little office, whatever, and it, it's like in pretty bad shape or whatever. So there's a silent meal between Peacemaker and his dad. He talks about blood sport and his like rat phobia. And because apparently his dad locked him in a crate with starving rats. So he thinks that's hilarious. And his dad's like laughing about that, which makes sense that his dad would think that's funny. His dad's like, oh, please tell me he's not the one who shot you. And Peacemaker doesn't say anything. So he's disappointed. And he's like, how did a sperm turn into a Nancy boy like you? (laughs) So his dad takes him to a secret room. There's like lots of weapon and several different helmets. And they all have like different special features. So his dad makes all this stuff. Peacemaker shows up at the restaurant in like full costume with his helmet on. Uh, Eagly is in a, in a backseat. His car is, has like a, a flag painted. It's like, uh, it's like not subtle at all. So the others are rude and they, they crack jokes and Mern gives them a file. So the target is this U S Senator. So Peacemaker mentions that he's he's heard of Mern and how he treats people and then there's like this bus boy there whose name is Adrian Chase which you may know that name that's vigilante and he's like hey peacemaker he knows him he's because he's like oh that's so and so's brother whatever and so he's like this nerdy kid peacemaker sees uh after he sees hardcore like walking down the street and she goes into his bar so inside some like good old boys like ogle her and, and stuff like that. One tries hitting on her and she like shuts him down. And then Peacemaker comes in and asks like, like what's her first name? You know, 
she because you know she doesn't have to call him peacemaker she can call him chris she's not interested second guy comes in and starts cursing like like oh what'd you say to my buddy whatever like that and she just like slams him in the throat twists his arm and stuff like that peacemaker is like impressed and she mentions how uh peacemaker saw her and followed her like just like a stalker and you know she's like just because you're handsome doesn't mean that you're not a piece of poop murderer and he's like you think i'm handsome so that's like all he takes away from that she asks him just a. She's like, just please f off. And she's. He's like, well, I'm not looking for a connection. I'm just looking for some some phys- physical relief because I've been in prison. And she like shuts him down. She's like, I just want to sit here and have my beer. And she's like, I can't. Why? Because I wear makeup. And you know, so that that's like that's kind of like the truth with how it, how it goes. You know, some just because a woman dresses up doesn't mean guys have the right to just go up to him and talk to him. It's like like no. So then, uh, peacemaker, you know, he's about to leave, but he sees like this metal hair lady like sitting at a in, a in a booth, and then it cuts to them like going at it like full on, like yeah. <laughs> so then we see Leota, she's talking to Amanda Waller, and Waller's like, "How's the team?" and she's supposedly the only one that Waller trusts because she's like house peacemaker. Leota says that he's his own thing. He's kind of sexist and maybe racist, but there's something else kind of sad. And Waller's like says empathy in this business will get you killed. Leota says she just wants to do this one job and then she's out. And cause you know, she wants to like have money to set up her life with her wife and, and her dogs. Waller says that, you know, she's like, well, you know, she has an early morning and she's like, good night, baby girl. And she's like, good night, mom. So Amanda Waller is Leota's mom, but no one knows that. So Peacemaker admires, uh, you know, so after he's admiring the lady's records and he's like in the living room, whatever, in his like whitey tighties while she's like brushing her teeth. And then he he's puts on this choir boys song. He starts singing it, whatever. She goes in the kitchen and she grabs his big knife. So he's singing and everything like that. And then she starts attacking, like slicing and stabbing. So she's got these moves. And then it's like, wait, she's like super strong. She even like throws him through a wall. So eventually he just jumps out the window. They're like on the fourth floor. She leaps out and does like the superhero landing. And she like just kind of roars, doesn't say anything. And she's like looking for him in the parking lot. Here's a car door and eagerly flies out. She runs at him. And then uh, Peacemaker puts on his helmet. And he's just like, he's still in his like his whitey tighties. And he's like, activate sonic boom so she like leaps up and then poosh, she's just like obliterated and there's just like just like goo and whatever just like all over the place like cars nearby just like are, are smashed and there's kind of like this little crater in the ground his car is like kind of smashed too just from the impact of this big big like wave whatever and then so yeah you just see like a pile of skin and blood or whatever then <laughs> eagerly drops like a dead possum you know it's, I, the, I don't know why <laughs> and then you hear like sirens on the way and that, that's where the episode ends. That's the first one. But then there's end credits. And it's, it's kind of like like an extra scene, like extended scene. Like the dad's showing him helmets. And he's like, this one will give you scabies. And Peacemaker's like, why would I want scabies? And then his dad's like, challenge yourself. He's like, every man should have scabies once in his life. So episode 102, Best Friends for Never. So there's a, a phone call that says from, from Dumb Poop. So Peacemaker's calling Hardcourt. So she has him listen on her phone, but not doesn't obviously not poop. He asks, he's like, what's Project Butterfly? So he's running up the hotel stairs in his helmet and his underwear. And he said he hooked up with a chick and and he's not saying that to make her jealous. He's saying that because she was a meta human freak and threw him out the window like an angry kid with his little sister's cabbage patch doll. So he's going back to get his stuff from the room. And so 
Harcourt gets out of her hotel room. She she knocks on on Leota's door, and she's like, "I'm driving, whatever." So, or she tells her she's driving. Someone's driving. I forget. And then uh, she's like, "Peacemaker just killed a butterfly." So he makes it to the room and he he tries a uh, tries dressing. He's like, "Where are my socks?" <laughs> whatever. So Harcourt tells Leota it's dangerous for her to have her wife in a hotel room and her dogs because you know she knocked in her hotel room, shot her there because they're like, "We're supposed to be undercover on a mission, and you got them here." So a, a couple of detectives have reached the crater and they see the dead possum lying there. They're, they're wondering how it survived the explosion. Harcourt and Leota reach the parking lot. They're like, you know, on the outskirts or whatever. And they, they see the police and they're like, well, where's Peacemaker? So he's still up in a hotel room putting records and CDs like in a bed sheet. He also finds this like weird electronic device thing and he, he takes that too. So the detectives see uh, Peacemaker looking out the window. They're like, you know, someone's still up there or whatever. So they move to cover to exits. Harcourt, like over to the comm, tells him to go to the seventh floor and jump. So he goes up to the sixth floor and then he barges, because he can't go up, he barges into his apartment and then, uh, <laughs> and he makes a dude like pick up the records that he dropped and everything because, you know, they, they spilled. Detectives start knocking, you know, door to door. So these are like, at first I thought it was like hotel room, but they're kind of like apartments or like some weird whatever whatever and so they're knocking door to door he ties a couple up because the lady's like flirting with them and they're just like arguing with and bickering with each other he jumps down out the balcony to a lower balcony and then to another more cops are coming he keeps jumping but it's like it's kind of painful because you know he's not supposed to be doing all this stuff but what's crazy is because he keeps like throwing the the bag of like records down, you know, and it's like, are they going to survive? Whatever. The police see him on a roof, like at a second floor, and they tell him to step into the light. You know, they still, they don't know who he is. They haven't seen his face or anything. And but then they start getting shot by darts. So Hartcourt got out of the car and she like shot them all. And then uh, the lady detective like sees him running and she like shoots at him. Peacemaker whistles for Eagly. Um, they they make it to the car, car getting shot. Leo's like screaming, whatever. And she's almost like kind of it almost seems like she's like excited by by all this. And Harcourt, she even seems a little happy with like just the excitement of everything that happened. You know, they they made their getaway. They had to shoot out and everything like that. So um, it, was, it was it was kind of weird, but good. So then uh, the detectives go to the Peacemaker Dad's place, and he's clearly racist against the the Asian detective. And they ask why his 1976 comet was at the scene. And he's like, I don't have a, a comet. He's like, my son does. So e- Economos was supposed to change the registration, but he changed it to his dad, to Peacemaker's dad, because he didn't know who to change it to because Mern was in the bathroom and he didn't know if he was going number one, number two. So he didn't want to bother him. And then uh, the others arrived at the office or whatever. So e- Economos has to uh, sew up Peacemaker's wound. He gets mad because he keeps peacemaker keeps saying that his beard has died because it looks different whatever and he's like i'd rather be with harley quinn or weasel than you he's like i'd rather be with batmite peacemaker's like who's that he's like it's a a, a two-foot tall interdimensional imp who stands batman so that means that uh batmite is real in this movie universe here that we're talking about mern says that to the others that you know he's trying to keep this op off the books so how did this annie Sturphausen, whatever, know about Peacemaker. Harcourt suggests that maybe someone is feeding the butterflies information. So maybe Waller. Leo is like, oh, it's not Waller. And Mern says that he doesn't think it's it's her either. Harcourt says that they don't know her like like she does or something like that. And she says she saw Waller knowingly sacrifice troops. So they could be a decoy team for another team that's actually taken down the butterflies. But Mern's like, he's like, she still wouldn't wouldn't turn on on them. And Harcourt says that, you know. The four of them 
and Waller are the only ones who know, and he's uh, the one who brought the butterflies to their attention. So it can't be him. It's not her because she put her butt on the line to save Muscle Man Weekly. It's not Muscle Man Weekly because he's the one who almost got killed. So if it's not Waller or them, then maybe it's Leota. Harcourt asks if anyone there knows how she ended up on the mission. Leota says she's got skills. She got her Binks Fendelmeyer strategic combat certification at the end of age of 14 or something like that. Harcourt's like, that's kindergarten poop. She's like, what have you done since then? She's like, what are your actual qualifications? Peacemaker says he trusts Leota the most because he eagerly liked her. And she says, he tried to bite me because, you know, when she saw outside the restaurant, she saw Eagly. And he's like, yeah, but not as hard as he tries to bite everybody else. So it's obviously uh, Elmo. And then he, he corrects him. He's like, it's Economos and a few. Peacemaker asks, he's like, why do y'all have such weird last names? And Harcourt says, that he's like, he didn't do it. He's too much of a pussycat to betray him. Peacemaker comes up with a story involving drugs and prostitutes or something like that. Mern says that, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't think it's any of them. Harcourt asks, why would, you know, she be trying to kill him after they hook up or something like that? And Peacemaker remembers afterwards that he went to pee. When he came out, she was sitting on the bed reading the secret files that Mern gave him at the restaurant. So Mern's not happy that he's like, you took the files with you? He's like, I thought it'd be safer with me than in my car. He's like, what are they supposed to do? Drop them off at, at home? And Mern's like, yes. And Peacemaker's like, well, nobody told me. He's like, you haven't told me anything. Nobody's even told me what a flipping butterfly is. And then Mern gets a phone call. Peacemaker says, he's like, you don't think that Chiff chick left any monster scds on my penis do you and Mern asks he's like when were you going to tell me there was a couple witnesses so he wants leo to go take care of them and she asks she's like do you mean pew, pew? And, you know and she starts, starts like mimicking you know guns or you know or, or like she starts making he's like why are you playing charades now and she's like do you want me to pay them off or you know so they don't mention peacemaker and he's like yeah so Peacemaker's at his trailer. He's looking at the records he got. He puts on Don't Treat Me Bad by Firehouse. He lays on a bed and he starts sobbing. And you know, he hits his chest and it like hurts. He's like, everybody flipping hates you. He's like, Dyed Beard could be your friend, but you push him away like you push everybody away. He's like, you're a flipping dick. He's like, you killed Rick Flagg. And he's like, like, Flagg was right. Peacemaker, what a joke. And then there's someone outside his window. So it's Vigilante, like in a costume. He, so he calls him a stalker. He's like, what are you doing? He's in Vigilante. He's like, are you all right? He's like, what are you doing? Why are you looking at me? He's like, are, he's like, are you jerking off right now? He's like, is your thing out? And he's like, what? No. He's like, look. And Peacemaker's like, I'm not going to flipping look. He's like, that's the oldest trick in the book. He goes on describing what could like how it could happen. So I'm like cracking up at this point. And he's like, you're like like Louis C.K. He's like, what? He's like, don't you read the news? He's like, don't you read the news? And Vigilante is like, like, why are you crying? Because he's, you know, Louis C.K. like wanting to take out his, his penis in front of people. So he's like, why are you crying? He's like, I'm not. He's like, I'm doing facial exercises to make my face more muscular. So Leota's practicing in hall, like what to say to this couple. Um, the couple walk out to go to the station. She like flashes a badge. She's like, did you see the guy that they saw or did they actually see another guy they didn't actually see but think they did? Secondly, she's wondering if they've ever had an all expenses paid trip to the beautiful Lake Tahoe, Nevada. Then the dude's like, he's like, are you flipping bribing us? And she firmly says no. Then he's like, oh. I was hoping you were trying to bribe us. Then she's like, yeah, yeah, I'm trying to bribe you. So Peacemaker says that the cops turned his place upside down when he was arrested. 
But I think that's just his excuse to say, like, why the place is a mess, so he probably didn't really do that. Then Vigilante asks him if he wants help cleaning up, and then Peacemaker's like, sure, and he just lays on the sofa. Vigilante asks him, he was like, how'd you get out anyways? I thought you were in there for life. And Peacemaker says, he's he's like, well, it, it's, a, it's a secret. And Vigilante's like, dude, I'm your best friend. He's like, no, you're not. Then he's like, well, who's your best friend then? And he's like, you know, someone you met in prison. He's like, I knew it. And he, he's like, dude, it's eagerly, obviously. He's like, well, what about people? Peacemaker says that he's like, I don't even know your secret identity. And Vigilante is like, well, I don't want to tell you my real identity for your sake. He's like, I don't want to, you know, put a target on you. Peacemaker finally says that he's like, I work for the government. Okay. And Vigilante is like, the post office? And Peacemaker is like, you think they'd flip me, flip, let me out of prison to deliver mail? He's like, it was the first government job I could think of. And Peacemaker's like, dude, I killed people for him, okay? He's like, I did it down in, in Court Maltese, and now I got to do it here in Evergreen. He said it, he used to think that God put him there for a purpose, for peace. He always said he didn't care how many people he had to torture or kill to get it. Lately, he thinks he's just a flipping maniac. He, he's having feelings about things. So Vigilante wants to celebrate him getting out of prison. He's like, I've been saving up appliances. So they, they go out the woods and they start shooting up, up a bunch of stuff and they're having fun. So the couple that was bribed, they're looking at mugshots separately, in like different rooms. They both happen to single out Peacemaker's dad. So I don't know if it's just a coincidence or what, or it, I don't know. I don't think Leota would tell him that. Uh, detectives and a couple officers go to his house and arrest him for the murder of Annie, whatever her name is. And he yells, he's like, I don't even know who that is. So Leota has dinner with her wife. She says, you know, she's working weird, weird hours. Maybe her and the dog should just leave. And Kia, her wife, like gets mad about at this. So Peacemaker smokes a joint with this lady in bed and a vigilante on the other side. And then with his mask still on, he, he, he says he doesn't want any. He's like, I can't believe they legalized that stuff. He's like, a few years ago, I would have shot you both in the face. Peacemaker looks at the electronic device thing that he took. It's like lighting up and has these weird symbols on there. And then he kind of like messes with it. And then it's like transforms into something else. And it's like this almost like a little like spaceship or something. So Peacemaker's dad is put in with the other prisoner. One one guy recognizes him and he goes to make a move. And uh, he goes to uh, uh, the dad. Peacemaker's dad goes to this black kid sitting on the bench. He's like, that's my spot between five and seven in the winter. He's like, what are you talking about, old timer? He tells him move. And he's like, and if I don't, he's like, guess. The others start standing up. Then they come up to him and they kneel. And the first dude like salutes him. They're like, all hail, the white dragon. Hail, hail, hail. So he's like, okay, whatever. And he gets up. So, uh, yeah, his dad was like a white supremacist named White Dragon. So then the end scene, extended scene, whatever, or we see uh, the lady, the, the couple that were bribed, Amber. She's looking at mug shots. And she's like, definitely not the hot guy. And then Evan somehow hears her in the next room. He's like, ah, F you, Amber. And she's like, oh, eat me, Evan. And she's like flipping off the wall. And she points to his other picture. And she's like, can I take that one? So she wants a picture of Peacemaker. And the text is like, uh, sure. Episode 103, Better Goff Dead, G-O-F-F. So Peacemaker is talking about um, homunculus with a very small or humanoid person or something like that. And he, he's so this is because the device was like a miniature spaceship or whatever. And they're loading up stuff in a truck. Vigilante is like watching from behind a dumpster and they like see him. They, they just want to make sure that that he's he wants to make sure that Peacemaker's OK. He's like, I don't think any of them are like, you know, best friend material. So their target 
or his target, Peacemaker's target, is Senator Roiland Goff. He's mostly known for being a radical proponent of climate change. Peacemaker's like, okay, so we're going to kill him because climate change is a hoax? And Leo's like, why do people, or why do all people who think pro wrestling is real think climate change is a hoax? She's like, it's not a hoax. Peacemaker scoffs. He's like, yeah, okay, Facebook's lying to me every other day for no reason. <laughs> and people believe what they read. So Mern says Goff is a butterfly and they need to take him out. So then the next slide, uh, because, you know, uh, so Leo is like on an iPad, like she goes to the next picture and it's, uh, it's her wife's nether regions. And she's like all embarrassed. She, you know, slides up. She's imp- up apologizing and peacemakers. He's uh, l- laughing. He's having a field day with this. Leota says that her wife sent it to her because, uh, hardcore said it, it should, that she should move out because it's dangerous. And then he's like, oh, she threw you under the bus. And Hardcore's like, it's not my fault. And Mern continues. You know, he's just like business. He's just like, whatever. He's like, Goff might be traveling with his family. He's like, they don't know yet if they're butterflies. You know, Mern says, they, you know, them collectively don't know if the family is butterflies. If so, Peacemaker will have to kill all of them. And he stops laughing. He's like, what? So he's like, Goff's butterfly goes by the name of Judah Master. He's like, really short. Um, so then he's like looking at stuff and he's like, wait, there's no dove of peace on my sniper rifle. So they're like, yeah, we don't have time. He's like, well, I need that. You know, I have to have it on there. So they're like, just draw one on there to give him a Sharpie. And he's like, every time I try drawing a dove, it looks like a ghost. (laughs) And it looks so bad when he draws. And I have to admit, I tried drawing one too. And I wasn't super happy about it. Economos asked Mern, he's like, you know, why doesn't he just tell Peacemaker what butterflies are? And he says that he doesn't trust him. Mern says that, you know, he's never shared a feeling before. And, you know, they're talking about something. He's talking about, he says, oh, it's chilling here. Is that a feeling? It's just whole, this random conversation about feelings or whatever. Anyways, Hardcore shares her trail mix with Peacemaker as they're sitting outside waiting for the senator and his family to arrive. So you see there's a, a little bit of bonding there. You know, you know, she can't stand them, but the fact that she's willing to share, that, that kind of says something. There's also a conversation in the truck, in the van. They're talking about like Berenstein or Berenstain Bears or like that. And and Mern is like, we have to focus on this. He's like, and it's Berenstain. And, but Leota's like, no, it's Berenstain. Or whatever, no, Berenstain. No, she says it's Berenstain. You know, she's correct, but Economist is like, oh yeah, right, whatever. Uh, Peacemaker can't get a shot because uh, you know the family comes home. You know, they they pull up. The senator is like, you know, kind of playing with his kids and everything like that, and he's walking by the other bodyguards, so he, he can't get just like a single shot of them. They go inside, and Hardcore. Then she's like, you can see him in the window. So they they as they go inside. You know, they're all like lovey-dovey family, everything like that. But then as soon as they, they're inside away from the bodyguards, they walk by the window and they're like like robots. Like their whole demeanor changed and everything like that. So they're going to have to wait until morning. And Mern says that, you know, they're not killing anyone who doesn't deserve it. He's like, you know, he's like, I'm not Amanda Waller. And, you know, Leo just has to like listen to this. So Peacemaker, um, they're still sitting outside. And he asked Harcourt how, how she got in this line of work. And she asked the same thing. And he says, he's like, well, I guess my dad. And he's like, she says that she worked in the CIA, the DEO, Argus, and that's where Amanda, that's where Waller found her. Then she excuses herself. You know, she, I don't know where she's going, but then vigilante's there. So he followed him. And Hardcourt re- returns and he like hides, even though they, they saw him. And he, he tells, he tells Peacemaker, he's like, we know he's there because they heard him like over the radio. 
back in the van, Leota finds a Berenstein Bears like book image. And he kind of was like, oh, that's definitely Photoshop. So they're still talking about that. Vigilante asks, he's like, why don't you just take out the bodyguards and storm the place? And because they're innocents. And then they see the family go into the dining room and they're still like very robotic, whatever. The mom's pouring this sort of like honey colored goo into like bowls. Myrn uh, stands up and he's like, they're butterflies. And Harcourt's like, how do you know? And they, so they all sit at the table. The senator and his wife, they open their mouth and these long, like, um, tongues or, like, whatever the, what are the, the tube things that, like, butterflies or bee, they use to suck the, the nectar? But, like, it comes out, out of there into the bowls. And then the kids, they do the same thing. Harcourt says, you know, there's some sort of purple things growing out of their mouth. And Myrne tells Peacemaker, take them out. It's like all four bears. So he's, like, hesitating. His hands are, like, shaking. Then the, the, he's like, he should have put a dove on the gun. Vigilante puts his hand on his shoulder. He's like, hey. He's like, I got this. Let me do this. Whatever. Shoots the mom. Then shoots the kid. And then the girl. And he's about to take out the dad. But then um, he gets kicked. Judah Master kicks him. Peacemaker and Hardcore is like, take him out. She gets kicked again. She rolls. She hits her head on, on a rock. You know, she was she was doing pretty well, but she gets knocked out. Myrne and Leota go out. They tell Economos to make sure that no one gets out. You know, no one leaves there. If anyone finds out that they're there, then they're, they're, they're screwed. So now they're all knocked out. Senator comes with a shotgun and tells Judah Master to get them inside. Bodyguard pulls a gun on Harcourt, but Leota comes and asks if he's one of them. He says that he's not. She, he starts telling his story. He's got a family. He's like that. Harcourt yells at her that, you know, she has to, sh and, but Leota doesn't want to do it. She can't do anything. So Harcourt has to shoot, shoot the bodyguard. And Leota's like, sorry. She's like, I've never killed anyone before. So Peacemaker is inside. He wakes up. Judah Master is like sitting eating Cheetos, and Vigilante is like tied up too. So Leota checked. Uh, on the the bodyguard, he wasn't a butterfly. So the senator, senator tells Judah Master to take the passage out uh, to this other place, whatever, and tell them what happened there. So he puts jumper cables on Vigilante's crotch. And he takes off his mask, but Peacemaker won't talk, and he just keeps like zapping Vigilante. Yeah, at first Vigilante's like trying to make like weird faces so he can't recognize his what he really looks like which is just silly leota uh finds a secret door to the basement economo sees judah master getting away peacemaker stares at vigilante and asks if he's a uh, gut chases was it was his name younger brother so you he'd recognize him senator starts uh is going to start cutting off toes and he's going to start with the pinky tone um Mern's experimental explosive you know he puts this thing like on a just whatever portal door thing so they can get in there, but it's like not working. Senator starts chopping away at Vigilante's toe, but he can't cut it off. And Vigilante says it's because the blades are dull. And the explosion finally goes off. Peacemaker was working on untying himself. Economo slams his car into Judah Master, who's like driving away. Peacemaker and the Senator are fighting. And it turns out he's like strong, so maybe because he's a butterfly. Peacemaker gets to the shotgun. He's like, peace out, mofo. Shoots him in the head. Economo um, gets out of the, the truck, checks the car. Judah Master got out of the passenger door. Economo sees him crawling on the ground. He tells him to stop. Then he hits him in the head with a tire iron. And he keeps moving, hits him again. He's still moving, hits him like two or three times. And then a, a this like butterfly crawls out of the like a you know, crawls out of the senator's like shot caved in head and starts flying. And they they stare at it. And Peacemaker's like, oh, Project Butterfly. And then you see this like world map suspect butterflies like and it increases exponentially everywhere so it's just gonna like expand 
end credit scene, it's back to Vigilante when Hardcore returns, and she says that you know if he screws up the mission, she will kill his his effing family. And he's like, oh, okay, good luck. He's like, a little late for that. He's like, you guys got beer? Okay, then episode four, the chode, less traveled. So they're driving back in the van after the mission. Hardcore asks what happened to the butterfly after it flew it out of Goff's head, and Peacemaker says he shot it. And she says that it would have been nice to have captured it, but at least it didn't get away. Vigilante is complaining that he may never walk again since Goff, the senator, cut off his or half his pinky toe. He's like, it's the most important toe. Leo's like, you can walk fine without it. Vigilante is like, you'll fall over all the time and you look stupid. Everyone will laugh at you. Hardcore's like, who's going to laugh at you for not being able to stand up? <laughs> then Peacemaker starts laughing because he's picturing it. He's like, oh, I'm sorry. He's like, I'm just, you know, whatever. Judo Master, um, he's like tied up and he like kind of falls over and they're like, what are we going to do about him? Because he's like still knocked out. Peacemaker gets up with his gun and gets ready to shoot him. And Hardcore and Leota both get up. They're like, no. So I don't know if they, you know, they want to question him or something. They get back to the office. Mern's like barking orders. They're supposed to go through boxes from Goff's place. You know, is there anything that'll lead them to other butterflies? Mern calls Peacemaker into his office to talk to him. He's like, is your head still in this since you choked last night? He's like, well, may- maybe this wouldn't have happened if you put a GD Gubba piece on my sniper rifle. And he's like, that's the most important thing to me. Mern's like, that's BS. Peacemaker continues and says that, you know, he told him to kill kids. He's like, okay, one was homely, so that made it a little easier. But, you know, I, then I started feeling sorry for him. He says he made a vow to kill anyone in the name of peace, but he's not killing kids just because he says so. Then Mern calmly asks him, he's like, are you sure that's that's all it is? He's like, yeah. And he's like, good. Because he says right now the world needs a SOB and he's the only one he's got. He's like, well, I guess I have vigilante now too. Peacemaker's like, are you sure about that? He's a little, <laughs> and Mern's like, you think I wouldn't have noticed? And he's like, ever since that, he had to team up with Matter Eating Lad. Peacemaker saying, ever since he had to team up with Matter Eating Lad, his he, his sense of what's normal is messed up. And Mern's like, he says that they have to keep him close. If he talks, he could ruin everything. And then Peacemaker's like, I won't see him eat an entire Wendy's restaurant. And then he's talking about matter eating lad. He's like, they took too long with his fries or something. Then uh, Peacemaker asks, he's like, if the butterflies are like alien bugs that crawl up into human brains that control people. Mern doesn't answer. And he just says that to get some rest and come back tonight. They'll explain the whole thing. So it's just weird. I mean, I guess, you know, he says he doesn't trust them, but it's like, if you feel like you should tell him something. So Peacemaker and Vigilante leave. Leota says sorry to Hardcore again about last night. And she's like, I never killed anyone. And she's like, yeah, and that's that's still true. <laughs> so, she, you know, she says that she's like, I never shot anyone. I never shot at anyone. Hardcore lays onto her a little about needing to be able to make tough calls when necessary. She's like, you know, you're here. You need to you know do what you need to do. Peacemaker asks Vigilante if they can swing by his dad's. He thinks he has a helmet that can help with all of this. Vigilante thanks him for letting him get tortured. He's like, I was a little PO'd at first, but then I realized you're, you know, you're doing it to make me the best I could be. And Peacemaker says, oh, it sounds like you're a little angry underneath. He's like, oh, not. So they have this conversation. But, you know, he's like, I'm not, dude. And he's like, oh, see, there you go again. It sounds like you're angry. And so they're just like arguing back and forth. So they pull out. Vigilante's like, why does your, your dad have an upside down American flag? And Peacemaker's like, oh, it might be a, like a deep state thing. And Vigilante says, or maybe your dad is a racist whack job. And Peacemaker's like, oh, yeah, your dad left your mom for another dude. And he's like, hey. And Peacemaker's like, he did. And Vigilante's like, yeah. And they're deeply in love. Peacemaker's like, I doubt it. You know, I think he's just pretending to be gay to get away from you. And, he, and Vigilante's like, he's like, okay. And what does that have to do with anything? He's like, I don't know. I thought we were just talking about dads. And he, so he knocks on the door. There's no answer. 
has to pick the lock. TV's still on. Goes in secret lab, grabs a helmet, and he starts grabbing like more helmet, and he starts putting in a big duffel bag. But it's like, how is he going to know which helmet is which? It's like I don't know if they're labeled or something like that. I mean, I hope they are. But he just starts grabbing them all. Then he sees a uh, this like red and white suit like mask with white horns. So that must be like the white dragon costume, whatever vigilante comes in and he's like, Oh, there's gaps in the armor. He's like, it's your dad's white dragon costume. Right. And he's like, how's it so big in here? Cause like, that's the only thing I wondered is like this, this weapons room is like really big and peacemakers like it's a quantum unfolding storage area. And Vigilante's like, well, I guess your dad's pretty brainy for a racist to, to make a place like this. And he's like, and if your dad's a racist and you work with him and peacemakers like, Hey, I don't work with him. He makes me stuff. So outside the the nosy neighbor, the old dude, he, you know, he's he's talking to Peacemaker because you know he says he's a villain. What he's like, you know, Batman has a, a coterie of super villains like Joker, Riddler, and Mad Hatter. He's like, do you have a coterie? And then he's like, no. And he's like, well, maybe you're not a superhero. Peacemaker turns around. And he's like, I don't have one because they're they're six feet under. And a neighbor's like, Batman doesn't kill. And Peacemaker's like, that's because he's a pussy cat. And then he he calls he's he's a jackass who wrestles with murderers just like like clowns and throws them in prison so they can break out and murder more people. He's like, real me this. How many people do you think Batman's indirectly murdered by being too much of a candy ass not to kill these fool who clearly need to be smoked once and for all? He's like, you wrinkly, sharpy looking dimension fested f. And the guy's like, geez. He's like, I was just trying to make a conversation. <laughs> so then Peacemaker walks to the car. Neighbor's like, with an attitude like that, you're a super villain. He's like you're going to end up in jail like with your father soon enough. He's like, what are you talking about? So he didn't even know like where his dad was. Peacemaker calls Mern very angrily. He's, you know, WTF. He, and they're like, the only way to get the cops off their tail was to, was to frame my dad. And Mern's like, that wasn't the plan. It was an impulsive decision. Mern suggests that, you know, he come back and they can talk about it like adults. He's like, no. He's like, I'm going to go see my dad. Mern's like, that's not a good idea. Peacemaker's like, well, I'm going to do it anyways. And so he's like, you guys only care about yourselves. And he, he glares out into the office. <laughs> and so Mern is like looking and Economos and Harcourt are like looking over a file. Then, then Economos is like me and Harcourt's like, yeah, it's probably because he framed Peacemaker's father and Mern's just looking at him. He's just like mouths F you to him. <laughs> so he's just mad at him because this is a big mess. And now, you know, Peacemaker is going to screw things up. So Peacemaker and Vigilante apologize to each other. They both admit that they are wrong. Vigilante said he got carried away about the toe, and he asks if he wants him to take him to see his dad. And Peacemaker's like, he's like, sure, you know, even though he's a racist. And Vigilante's like, you know, shouldn't you kill him then? Peacemaker's like, he's shocked. He's like, no. He's like, I'm not going to kill my dad. He's like, why not? He's like, because I love him. He's like, oh. And Peacemaker says that he and his dad both hate crime, and, you know, he makes some stuff. Mern then talks to Leota, said Peacemaker trusts her most, and he says that she's like, no, he trusts Hardcourt more. And Mern's like, no, he only wants to have sex with her. He's like, he trusts you. And he says that, you know, she was the only one he was sure wasn't a butterfly. And he says that he needs her to talk him out of seeing his father because that could screw them in a number of ways. So she starts to leave, and he mentions her lack of a resume or whatever made him hesitant to bring her, her on, but Amanda Waller insisted she was ready. He's like, prove her right. So Judah Master wakes up because, you know, he's like strapped to a sofa in the back room. He starts to struggle, and, you know, he realizes that he's like, you know, tied down or whatever. Then he slowly starts moving his wrist to get out of like his leather wrist bonds or whatever. Peacemaker and Vigilante get out of the car, and Leota pulls up just in time. So it's like very convenient. I guess, you know, maybe dad's house is on the other side of town. I don't know. So uh, 
he doesn't want to talk to her. And she's like, you know, I know we messed up. And then he's like, was it Myrn? And she's like, no. And he's like, hardcore? And she's like, no. She's like, man, I shouldn't say. So obviously that leaves Economos. And she explains that they switched to car registration, switched fingerprints. He's like, can't they just re-fingerprint him? And she's like, it's a government bureaucracy. You know, they don't normally double check things. So he's like, well, I can't abandon him. He's like, I have to talk to him. And she's like, do you? She's like, we all know what he did to you. And he's like, you don't know poop. And she's like, we do. It's in your files, Chris. He's like, oh, it's Chris now. And she's like, we know how he treated you. And Peacemaker's like, okay. He's like, I, I, he has issues. And she's like, issues? He's a white supremacist who used to dress up as a supervillain called the White Dragon. Peacemaker says, he's like, oh, he's not as bad as he seems. She's like, he thinks people with my color skin are second-class citizens. And Peacemaker's like, that's effed up. He's like, okay, people change. And she talks about how we all want to believe our parents are good inside. And she's like, your dad is not a good man. He's like, not to the world, especially not to you. And, you know, Vigilante's like listening, hearing all this. And he looks back at her. He's like, he's still family. And Vigilante says, well, I guess he's, you know, he walks in. He, Vigilante's like, I guess he's got to do what he's got to do. And she looks at him. You know, he's in his civilian clothes. And she's like, I take it you're Vigilante. He's like, uh, no, no. And she's like, you sound just. And he's like, uh, no. And she's like, you sound just like him. Then in a goofy voice, she's like, no, I don't. And she's like, that's a fake voice. And he's like, no. And she's like, it just changed from what it was two seconds ago. So then in a normal voice, he's like, I was about to cough. And he starts walking away. And she's like, why are you limping? And he's like, snowboarding accent, totally unrelated to, in any way to vigilante. It's like, I don't even know who vigilante is. So inside the prison, the guard tells Peacemaker's daddy as a visitor. So he was like laughing out, playing cards with some of the good old boys, whatever. Peacemaker explains that he had nothing to do with it, but they switched his fingerprints. He's like, they did what? He's like, they think that's going to stick? He's like, all I have to do is say, hey, the fingerprints don't match. Then he says, he's like, I saw you come out of your mother's cooch. He's like, I should have slit your throat. He's like, I never had any feelings for you, not like your brother. He's like, him I effing loved, but you, you were just a blob of flesh I felt nothing for. And he's like, <laughs> Peacemaker's like, dad, he's like, well, maybe I'm a grower, not a shower. And he's like, like a person, not like like a penis. <laughs> and then he says, maybe, you know, you could get to know me. And Peacemaker is like, you know, he's like, you know, I'm working against a deep state. He's like, you know, you hate illegal aliens. He's like, these are real illegal aliens. He's like, I'll turn myself in after this just for once. He's like, make the sacrifice. He's like, there's no way that of, you know, I'm letting my son, you know, work for them. He's like, I'm no rat. But the first chance I get, I'm spilling everything. Peacemaker is like, well, you know, not to be a jerk, but technically that does make you a rat. And his dad says, he's like, get the F out of here, my sight. He's like, I have, my, I have no use for you. He's, and he gets up. Leota and Vigilante are sitting outside. Um, she says that, you know, Chris is a good man, not his father. You know, Peacemaker has a, a good heart, but she also says Vigilante is a good man that she can tell. And she doesn't think Chris is just going to be happy as long as his father's around. She's like, I just wish there was some way for him to go away. And Vigilante just thinks, and then he's like, I got to go do something. So what does she mean by that? Peacemaker comes out and he's like, where's Vigilante? And she gets up. She's like, that, that's Vigilante? That was Vigilante? And he's like, shut up. <laughs> so you, obviously, you know, she was being sarcastic. And she says that, you know, she's like, you need some rest. And Peacemaker's like, it's like, oh, I'm supposed to keep an eye on Vigilante. And she's like, oh, don't worry. And then, like, she's, like, in the car. She's, like, everything's going to be okay. Peacemaker's, like, my dad hates my guts. Like, everybody hates my guts. He's, like, I'm a chode and not the good kind. Leto's, like, I don't hate your guts, and I think you're the, the good kind of chode. He's, like, thanks. 
So Vigilante goes around the back of the police station. There's lots of guards sitting at picnic tables, like they're all under lunch break. He grabs like this big like metal garbage can, you know, like he's just like dragging it over by the building, by the window. Then he picks it up, like tries smashing the window. They all get up. They're like, what are you doing? And he's like, I don't have to tell you that. And then they're like, get down. And he's like, okay, just, just, just watch my pinky toe, okay? He's like, I just injured her. Economos discovers Judo Master escaped. He calls Leota. He's like, we're so incredibly screwed. He's like, he, he doesn't know where he went. He's like, but it turns out he was like in this fi- like metal cabinet behind him. He's like eating a bag of chips. He kicks Economos and he just goes flying across the room. Leota hears all this as he like crashes and smashes the desk. And she tells Peacemaker, she's like, I think Cobra Kai just got out. <laughs> so dad tells a guard, he's like, I want to see Detective Song. He's like, I have some information on the case. So Peacemaker and Leota arrive at the office. Economos, he's like, he went out the hallway window. So Peacemaker jumps out, does a good landing this time. Yeah, perfect. Walks, he's like, he yells, rematch, mofo. And then Judah Master jumps down from the top of a semi-trailer. Punch, punch. Peacemaker gets him down, punch, slams him against the back car, punches him again. They curse each other. Another slam. And, and, you know, like both are hitting each other. Judah Master's like, you have a weird bubbly-shaped body. And he's like, personal insults. He's like, real mature shrimp. Judah Master, his head goes... It smashed through a window, car window. Uh, he punches Peacemaker. Peacemaker like swats him because like Peacemaker's landing like harder like hits. I mean he's obviously you know stronger, and uh, he like hits him. He's like, you have no idea, butterflies. They're not what you think. They are. He gets shot in the chest, right like right in the middle by Leota. Peacemaker looks at her and then back at Judah Master. He's like, I was gonna win that fight. He's like, it was a big rematch, and she's like, you're welcome. And Peacemaker is like, you know, I'm not trying to sound ungrateful. Leota's like, I've never killed a man before. Peacemaker looks at Judo Master. He's like, well, you still haven't. He's still breathing. He's like, these martial artists, like, they're hardcore. It's like, their heart stop beating. They just concentrate and move a kidney up into his place. And then the kidney circulates the blood through the system. And she's like, it's like, that doesn't happen. He's like, yo, only the greats can do that. She's like, no. It's like, that's never happened ever. So Peacemaker goes home. Vigilante walks through the prison. The other guard, the inmates, whatever, they're like cheering, like taunting him because he's like fresh fish or whatever. He just keeps walking. Peacemaker at home, he's like looking through a backpack. He has a a jar with the butterfly in it. So he didn't kill it. And there's also like a jar of the yellow goo or whatever. Vigilante uh, spots Peacemaker's dad in the common room. So he's ready. He's going to make some sort of move. Peacemaker tells the butterfly, he's like, just stay alive, mofo. Then eagerly flies over, knocks the jar out of his hand, and starts, like, pecking at the jar. It doesn't break, but he's just, like, like pecking at it, whatever. He's like, no, no. So Judo Masker's back back on the sofa, tied up. More fluids are being pumped into him, even though he's, like, shot in the chest. I don't know how he's alive. Maybe he did move his his kidney. I don't know. Hardcore comes in. She sighs and sits next to Leota. She's like, and, and this time you didn't balk, huh? So she's she's impressed. Leota's like, she's like, you think he's going to die? And she's like, probably. And Leota's just like, I'm not cut out for this poop. Hardcourt says, you know, she's like, the first time I killed someone, she's like, I didn't have my period for three months. And Leota's like, and it gets easier? And Hardcourt's like, no, not really. But it, it's good, it hurts. Otherwise, you become like Amanda Waller, and you start treating human life like it's nothing. Leota, so, I mean, but, but what's nice is, you know, Hardcourt's starting to warm up to her. So the, that's good that she, you know, she's sharing. 
And Leota's like, you know, none of this sits right with me. She's like, you know, first I tricked vigilante into going to prison to kill Peacemaker's father, and now this. Harcourt's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. She's like, back up. What? So Mern's upset. He's like, every time I turn around, it's like one of you are messing up. You know, calls them the apple dumpling game. Harcourt's like, wait, who, who's the apple dumpling game? He kind of most knows or whatever. And he says, you know, you know, Peacemaker isn't dumb. You know, he's going to know that they put the idea into Vigilante's head. And his, you know, his dad was a white dragon, a trained killer. Without Vigilante, they're taking on the butterflies with a man down. So Vigilante, is, he sits down at a table where Peacemaker's dad and, and three other guys are. So they're not they're not going to like that because he's like all happy and everything like that. So he wants to go around a table and talk about what they're thankful for, that the black people have contributed. He mentions rock music, and he like comes down on redneck hillbilly music and, and them, like you know music that you listen to while you're with your sister or something like that. And he insults this other guy. He comes at him, take him down, and... And he 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 like takes them out, takes out the other two guys too, like very hard. So it's like it's kind of impressive that Vigilante's like such a dork, but he was able to do this. And then he's the dad. He's he said he's not going to attack him. He's like, I know there's camera. He's like, the other guys will look like the aggressors. And Vigilante's like, he's like you're a bad dad. And then dad, you know, the, the guards come and like take them. He's like, he's like guards. He's like, I want to talk to Detective Song now. So it's like Vigilante shouldn't have said that. Hardcore is back at the bar. Peacemaker shows up. And she says that he has to leave her alone during her off hours unless it's work related. He said, well, it sort of is. And he asks, he's like, what does it say in my file about what my dad did to me when I was a kid? So she's like hesitates. And she finally uh, says that it's, he was trained to kill when he was very young. And it says that his brother died under mysterious circumstances and that he was involved. And he's like, thanks. And hardcore is like, that's it. And he walks away. He says, no, your boobs look stellar in that shirt. And I'm saying that as a compliment, not in a sexist way. Peacemaker goes to his trailer, takes a hit off a bong, blows some at the jar with the butterfly, starts dancing to music. Vigilante sitting in his cell. Then a guard comes. He's like, you're free to go. And he's, the guard's like, I guess you have friends in high places. Leota gets a call from Kia on her phone, but she decides she doesn't want to answer it. You know, she's like looking through stuff. Mern's wa- watching... I, I, he's watching some old movie, like something, Apple Dumpling Gang movie. I don't know. Vigilante walks out of police station. Hardcore's there to take him home. He tells her that he's like, he's still alive. And she's like, okay. And Vigilante says, he's like, I think I might have made things worse. So then there's a flashback. We see this dude tied to a chair. Uh, Peacemaker's dad's like with a mullet. He gives a knife to Peacemaker as a kid. And he starts crying, whatever. And he, the guy's like really scared. He stabs him. He stabs him again. And three, four, five times. And his dad's like, like smiling. Then we see like flashback, the, the Rick flag, Peacemaker. What a joke. And then a Peacemaker falls over. Uh, and, you know, he's, or, or you know, or you see the fight, whatever. Peacemaker's on the floor. Eagly comes up to him. And then the butterfly in a jar rolls up to him. And then we see another flashback where he's like rocking the music with his brother and his brother falls over. It's like, I don't know what happened here. Maybe we're going to find out more, but his mouth's like foaming and he's like having like, like a seizure or something. I don't know what happened to his brother, but somehow peacemakers at, at, at fault. So then we see Leota. So she's going through Annie's stuff that sort of dead lady from the hotel. And then there's this card for a gland tie bottling company. And there's like a badge for the same place. So then Leona calls Mern. She's like, I think I found something. And he's like, good, I'll be right over. And so, you know, he's still watching this movie. He picks up this bowl, and there's, like, yellow stuff in the bowl. And then a long tongue thing comes out of his mouth. 
So Mern is a butterfly too. But why is he trying to kill them? What is going on? What is going on? So then the end credit, <laughs> there's more because Peacemaker and, and Vigilante were having argument because he at one point when they're saying Peacemaker's dad's a, a racist, then, you know, Vigilante said, like, if it walks like a duck and talks like a duck, and he, then, you know, he's like, what does that even mean or something like that? And they're like, well, I don't know, maybe it's a, a duck in a human costume or something like that. And he's like, how could, what are you talking about? He's like, how would that even work? He's like, how would his feet get in, into, you know, fit in there? And so it's just ridiculous, just silly. But that was the episode. So that is a uh, now you're up, caught up to date um, with Peacemaker. So that's episodes one through four. Hopefully that went went okay. Um, I had a, a little some distractions as I was recording and uh, trying to get sand track and everything. So hopefully that all made sense. I'm I'm digging the show. You sh- and I hope you're watching it. I hope you're not just listening to this. But that, that was good. So. Um, yeah, it's weird, and you know now we're starting to feel sorry for for Peacemaker because his dad did this horrible stuff. And now when you go back and think about it, when when he told him about about uh, sports not, or blood sport about his dad locking him in a crate, and his dad thought that was funny because he tortured basically Peacemaker as a kid, you know, made him do things, and uh, his dad's like such a piece of something. So yeah, what's up with these butterflies? That's that's the big thing. So, but it's, it's nice to see like Harcourt and Leo, you know, that, that they're actually kind of good people. Cause you know, you did not get that impression before. So it, it's nice to see everyone kind of growing except for Mern, who obviously is growing the other way. And that is going to be it. So that is going to be this week's episode. So big shout out to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash gmanfromheck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from Heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. Uh, Last week, I talked about 2002's Resident Evil. And this week, I'm going to talk about... um, the other the second resident evil which was what was the second one the second one was resident evil apocalypse and then uh maybe the following week i'll talk about the next one also after that extinction so i think there's four of them so we'll see um and sometimes I talk about comic books, but we're taking a little break talking about movies. But if you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash gman from heck. And you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or five. That is ko-fi.com slash gman from heck. Okay, so uh, what is going to be on the agenda for next week? So I think it's another week with no movies. Um there's there's a new show coming. I thought it was a movie on Apple TV called The, the After Party. There's there's some some big or not big. There's some common actors in there, but it, it's a it's a series. So I don't know if I'm going to be able to talk about that in time. There's no movie coming out. Um, we have I think Snowpiercer is out this week, so season three. So I'll probably talk about that. But I think the big movie or the big no, it's not a movie feature. I think the big feature will be Archive eighty one. So that, uh, unfortunately, now it's, we're we're talking. It's been out for a couple of weeks, but it's really good, and I'm I'm digging it. I'm not quite finished yet, so I should be able to finish that. So I think that's going to be the feature. We'll talk about the whole whole season, and uh, so that's your warning. So you should definitely check it out. It's it's really cool, and um, hopefully that it's 
going to end well. And you know, it's not just going to be like like a disappointing, you know, letdown the way it ends. So that will be next week along with the other stuff. So thank you for listening. I hope you're doing well. I hope everything is going awesome for you. And I really hope you remember to be good to each other.